and welcome back to Slapcast. This is episode one of our coverage of the 2022-23 season. Boy, does it feel good to say that. I'm your host, Gage, as usual, and I am beyond ecstatic to be able to bring you the season four premiere of this goofy little Premier League podcast, which it's hard to believe has been running for over three years now as of June. We've got a lot to talk about from predictions to previews to premonitions to piss takes, you name it. Uh, But first, I have got to give a very, very warm welcome to the fellas. First of all, we've got the mustachioed maestro, the master of shapes, the commander of configuration, and North London's red representative, it's Reese. Hello, Reese. Hello, I'm happy to be here. How are you feeling about season four, my brother? I'm feeling excellent. Most excellent indeed. Uh, And not to be outdone, we have Croydon's congenial commissary, the vinyl vindicator and editor extraordinaire, extraordinaire, extraordinaire. (laughs) It's Ethan. Hello, Ethan. Yeah. What's up? How are you feeling about season four, brother? Let's go. I am so hyped. A lot to be talked about, a lot to see throughout the season. It's going to be hype. Very hype. Much hype. Uh, What's not hype is that Josh is unfortunately still not aboard the train. Uh, He will be aboard the train quite soon, but he may miss the first two or three episodes of the season, which is a bummer. But of course, he's always in our hearts. And uh, we want to say a thank you as well to producer Chris, who is still involved with the program, just had a a good meeting with him and he passes along his best wishes to all of you. I thought you were going to be like, I thought you were going to be like, oh, he passed. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> Producer Chris is gone. First full uh, season. Yeah. No, but uh, yeah, he passes along his his <laughs> his best wishes. Now I can't get out of my head. Um, he'll, he'll certainly make a few appearances on this season later as well. So, well, Ethan, I think in lieu of Josh, there is one thing that we have to do before we begin as per usual. Yeah, so Josh is usually in charge of our little wacky question at the beginning of the podcast, but um, in his absence, I've stepped up and, you know, kind of talked to him about questions. Uh, One, this was just by myself. The one question I wanted to ask, um, you know, being that we've been watching the Premier League for a little while now and that we've done the Slapcast for a little while, is there any moments or seasons that you enjoy in particular, as in your favorite Premier League season or favorite moment that you've ever had watching your team? Can I go first? Yes. Mm-hmm. I'll go first. I think my uh, favorite... No, you can't. I'm no. quitting. The podcast is over. <laughs> uh, my favorite season, I think, is definitely the um, 2016-17 season. It was the season that we finished second under Potch and went undefeated at home in our final season at White Hart Lane. Um, I just have such good memories of that season. I feel like it was everything that embodies Spurs as a club, uh, including coming second, um, which is just so typical. But that was like peak desk years with Deli, Erickson, Son, and Kane, and uh, Wanyama, Dembele in the midfield, Vertonghen, Alderweireld, Rose Walker, literally all the best Spurs combinations uh, out there. So I I just look back really fondly on that, especially our win uh, over Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, the two Deli Alley headers. Uh, yeah, I, that was, that was a, an unbelievable season. So nice. Reese. Uh, my favorite season was last season because as I've mentioned before, 
every year I have watched Arsenal as a fan, we have done worse than the previous year. Until last year, uh, we actually improved. So that was very, it was very exciting. That's good. Happy about that. Yeah. Uh, I'll step in for Josh. I would assume his favorite season was obviously the one where the Leicester won the league. Um, Surely. Yeah. Uh, for me, this is a surprise because, you know, we've had, as a Palace fan, there have been plenty of different seasons, you know, in their own way. Um, one that I particularly liked was when, and uh, was the 16th, 17th season when we hired uh, or we fired Pardew and we hired Allardyce. And literally in that last span of games that we had under Allardyce, we were literally unstoppable. We beat uh, Chelsea and then, um, sorry, Reese, but we beat Arsenal pretty well. And so there was just a lot that of good results. every year. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that was actually the beginning of. of yeah, that. You, don't, you don't have to apologize for that. That's not a new thing. Yeah, I feel like it was the it was the the Rolling Stone that started all this results because that that's the first Arsenal, or or win or Palace win that we had against y'all uh, ever since I've been watching. But um, that was just a fun season, and you know, it was the season we signed Benteke, um, and that was like he scored like fifteen or seventeen goals or something like that. So. It was it was fun towards the end, so that'd probably be mine. All right, fellas, let's get into a couple of administrative items here, and then we will get into the real meat and bones of the podcast. First of all, I just want to say welcome to any new listeners we may have with the premiere of the new season. I'm hoping uh, some of you will be tuning in for the first time, so we're glad to have you. Uh, who are we? That's a good question. Uh, Slapcast, the four of us, minus Josh, who... Uh, if you follow us on social media at slapcastpl at slapcastpl, I was going to say on Twitter and then on Instagram, it's the same on both both platforms. Yeah. Uh, you will see our prediction graphics, and you can see a little a little cutout of Josh there in the corner, uh, so you can see his face, which is always a nice thing to have. Uh, we are basically just a bunch of mugs that uh, went to high school together and really enjoy talking about the Premier League. Uh, so Slapcast is uh, an accurate, well, the cast part aside, Slap is an acronym for our little group. Uh, it was the, the name of our group chat at first, and now it's evolved into much more than that. Uh, so there is an acronym there, uh, Spurs, Leicester, Arsenal, and Palace, which are the clubs that we support, uh, you know, respectively. I think you can judge by our answers to the previous question and the kits that we're currently wearing as to who's who. Um, so yeah, shout out to the boys and, um, we're, yeah, just really thrilled to be involved with the fourth season here. Guys, uh, do you have any, anything to add on the, the little blurb? I want to quickly add that, uh, we're really excited to anybody that joined the fantasy, uh, league that we put together, uh, cause we saw some people in there that we didn't recognize, which is always cool to see. Um, there's still time to join that obviously. So if you're listening to this, um, please join that league. You can find the link on Twitter as well. Um, just have some fun competition on there. Code, in case you're listening and want to join now, code is C9BRFC. So write, yeah, write that down, take notes uh, in case you want to join. That is the code. For me, I would say, uh, you know, like Gage said, we're literally just a bunch of mugs who watch the, watch the Premier League. Um, mostly just our clubs. We watch all of the games. Uh, so don't take anything we say like as, you know, a, a source, you know, we're kind of just taking sources of our own and, you know, kind of just discussing it. Um, 
No, but it's, it is something it's we the codex of law. Yeah, <laughs> that's what we're writing here. It, we're literally the only source for everybody. No, yeah. Um, no, we just we love talking about it, and you know, we kind of try and generate our own thoughts. You know, garner other opinions, and you know, kind of make our own thoughts. Um, and we and we do pay attention. Uh, my vivid memory of watching a Crystal Palace game was literally taking a test in high school. I was wearing a hoodie, and I had my phone with the game on in my hoodie pocket, and I would have one hand on my pencil and the other hand, you know, casually taking out my phone and watching the game. And I ended up getting an A on that test. So it might have just dedicated. been yeah. dedicated. Yeah. I remember so. I was uh, we were recording something for band, like a professional recording. And uh, I had my phone on my music stand with the Arsenal game on. We nice. I remember we were at UIL. So we were at a state competition, a state level or like a regional level competition or whatever it is for band. And it was the day that Spurs were playing Man City at uh, in the Champions yeah, League. I, I remember my that. Phone on the on the stand during our yeah. performance and i kept refreshing to see the to see who was scoring and whatnot uh i'm glad i didn't get caught because i would have been i would have been shish kebobbed for that um <laughs> yeah. but alas so you know obviously we're, i'm not just saying that to you know make us sound like the best kind of epl fans around but we do keep uh up with our clubs as much as possible for american fans who can't be there in person so yeah, this is just kind of how we talk about everything. This is the podcast. The dream is to, for me at least, the dream is to live in London at some point for a stint and have season tickets. That is actually a real thing I mean, that I want to do. So it, it's a lifelong goal. It has been a goal of mine too. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. Now, the main event, what you've all been waiting for. Undoubtedly, all of us are going to make absolute clowns of ourselves in this portion of the show. But... We are going to try our hand at telling the future, and we are going to run through our 1-20s to 20s in the Premier League, kind of give you our rundown on where we think certain teams will finish, and just give you a little preview of their season. Um, just a couple of items that we may have regarding the potential successes and failures of the team going forward. So, gentlemen, let's start from the bottom, as the once great DJ Khaled told us to do, or was it Drake? Honestly, Drake. Drake. It's Drake. They're the same in my head, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> one is so. 200 pounds more than the other. <laughs> so uh, either way we've got to start with the relegated clubs fellas i think someone should just throw out a name because i reckon we've got some similar teams in the region bournemouth <laughs> yes <laughs> <laughs> let me I'm just going to start out by saying i have every single thing that's going to happen in the premier league in this journal right here and Bournemouth <laughs> will get relegated, even though I think it's going to be Fulham in 20th. That's my okay. 20th. Okay. I've got them in 19th. So, and I, and when I was making this, it was pretty close in between. So I've got Bournemouth bottom. I've also got Fulham going down. I have Fulham in 18th. So let's talk a minute about these two clubs because a lot of times it's easy to pick newly promoted sides to return back down to the championship. But my biggest issue for for Bournemouth especially is that they just haven't been addressing their needs um, yeah. or anything, really. They have signed no one, <laughs> which, which is really worrying uh, because I think Scott Parker is in a fine manager, but I don't know if he's got the nous that it takes to um, propel this team to the point where it's going to be good enough to stay up on its own. I know Ethan was saying some of their signings have been like kind of 
touted youngsters, which is they've is only had two. Yeah, but I mean, it's like an interesting model when you're newly promoted, but it's definitely more risky to go with that approach. Um, so it is harder to t to judge, right? Because we don't really know these guys coming in. Um, but who knows? Maybe they're maybe they're amazing and they're untapped talent at this point. But yeah, they just really haven't improved since they've uh, come back up, and they they really downgraded the team since going to the championship. They had a lot of let a lot of players go. So I just don't see them doing better than twentieth. Yeah, I had Fulham, uh, and you know, I y'all probably have Fulham in a similar position. You know, just vice versa, but. Um, when I look at Fulham, okay, let me just say that this is not a Bible. This is just, I have a journal for, you know, everything that's going to go on throughout the season. I'm going to try and write it down for the podcast. So I made a few notes in this journal about, um, you know, where do I think these teams are going to finish? But for Fulham, I think that they did uh, do well to bring in the likes of Pereira, you know, former United player. Um, and then Mbappu, who we saw a little bit of, I think he played for Newcastle or on loan at one point. But they they did lose a lot of players. They got rid of um, Car Car was Carvalho to Liverpool. Yeah, you know he was pretty much a good uh, touted youngster there. Um, and <laughs> this is this is harsh, but I wrote down Mitrovic Gambit sucks. Does it work? <laughs> it's uh, and, it's so true though. The thing about it is, you know, Mitrovic is a goal scorer, but in the championship, every time we've seen him play in the Premier League, you know. Obviously, he's going to score a few goals because it's their, that's how they're going to, you know, get involved in these games a little bit. But, you know, just it just does not help their case at all. And they, that's why they always find themselves in these positions because they keep trying to play with Mitrovic up front. I think it's just one of those. He's going to do exactly what he always does in the Premier League. Even since the days that he was at Newcastle, he's going to score eight to 12 goals, um, contribute no assists, and generally just be a nuisance to play against but not enough of one to get them out of the relegation team. zone. Yeah. I'll anything ask you like this, that. though. Like, I don't really see anyone on the Bournemouth squad getting eight to 12 goals, right? Yeah. You know, I wrote this down, actually. A lot of their forwards are huge. I'm opening uh, Minecraft. I do that so often. We're not important. We're not important. I just tried to click back to my notes, and uh, here we are. <laughs> but no, I, I wrote this down. So many of their forwards have, have question marks. Dom Solanke obviously got the big money move from Chelsea. Hasn't really panned out the way they wanted him to. Kiefer Moore, who did really well in the Belgian league, but, um, you know, is he going to cut it in the Premier League? Sariki Dembele, someone they bought in from League One. And then David Brooks, obviously, is a wonderful player, but he's had his fair amount of health scares. Um, and so, you know, how reliable is he going to be? Obviously, that sounds very cruel and utilitarian of course we want him to be you know healthy first but um you know how reliable is he going to be in terms of a source of goal scoring i'm not sure yeah. so yeah i just have a lot of question marks about every area of their team the other viewpoint i kind of looked at is i i kind of think general you know general talent at each squad is pretty similar i would probably personally give it to fulham but i could see it going either way so then i look to the transfers they've made I mentioned Bournemouth's transfers, pretty much unknown players, more risky. Fulham has gone, you know, these players, although not, you know, they're not, you know, fantastic top world players. They're, they're players that have featured in the Premier League before. So they at least have that kind of experience. 
So I think of our three teams getting relegated, we each have those two, although I actually have Fulham at 18th. I've got a different team at 19th, but I think our third teams are probably not going to be the same team. Uh, so Ethan, I'm going to come to you first. Who's your third team to go down? I will say this was probably the hardest because I was just in between so many teams. Cause you know, obviously those first two spots, you know, we were able to identify them quickly, but, or, or not for Gage, but for at least myself. Um, but just with the way things have gone, I've went for Brentford 18th, you know, um, they brought in a, a few potential players that could, you know, end up turning good. Uh, let me pull up their transfers real quick. Should have had this ready. So they brought in like, uh, oh, they brought in Ben Me. They brought in a lot of, you know, potential as well as experience uh, with Ben Me. You know, um, went down with Burnley, but uh, it's going to provide a lot of things there. But then just a bunch of players from like the uh, the championship that will maybe come good. But um, you know, they just last season they dealt with a lot of injuries. Um, I think Tony's fine now, but you know, he it could happen again. He could get injured again, and then. Erickson was just a big loss because he really, you know, changed that team. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll hold my hands up here and say that I've got Brentford in 17th. So I have them just escaping the drop this season. Uh, so I a hundred percent could see this swinging the other way uh, to where they do end up going down. My biggest concern for them is this. A lot of teams when they come up from the championship, and I'm going to mention this later as well, tend to utilize the back three model. We've seen a lot of teams come up and have success utilizing that principle. You think back to Wolves when they came up, think of Sheffield United in their first season. Then I think they kind of start to get figured out. Brentford are ahead of this jump. I think Thomas Frank is a good enough coach to recognize that a change of system is in order. So the last five games of last season, uh, they employed a 4-3-3 system uh, in which they went 4-0-1, uh, which is you know, a, a pretty good record, all things considered. Here's the problem. Both that system and the one previous that they use, the 352, rely an inordinate amount on central creativity, which is essentially Christian Eriksen in a nutshell, and he's moved on from the club. So I really worry about their yep. chance creation this season. I will interject. This is currently a rumor, but it's it's picking up some traction that um... – Mikkel Damsgaard uh, is going to be signing for Brentford potentially, which could be their solution to that problem. Um, but, you know, he's still, he's obviously not the same quality as Christian Eriksen. We saw glimpses of it uh, during the Euros, but, you know, it's uh, it's still a, a little it's a gamble. bit of a gamble, yeah. for sure. Um, I'll say I've also got Brentford in 18th. Um but actually not really it's not personnel issues for me. I actually think they've done decent in recruiting. Um, the issue for me is that the team that I've got in 17th, I think are just going to end up working harder than Brentford in the end. Uh, and I'll get onto that team once, once we get there, but you know, I just think uh, Brentford has had some, some turnover. Like we mentioned, Christian Erickson leaving the club is a huge one. Nicole Damsgaard's coming in potentially. Um, is a gamble, like I said. So these things are going to culminate, kind of make, kind of make it kind of um, wishy-washy in a way. I think. I think they'll get they'll get some uh, some bad run of form. They might even have some good run of form. But I think in the end, it's going to end up snowballing, and they're just going to get outperformed by the team I have in seventeenth. 
So when I told this to Josh, cause I, I was texting back and forth with him and, and Josh sent me his predictions so that I could uh, put him on a graphic and, and tweet him out later, which you will see. He was surprised by my pick for 19 now. So maybe this is kind of a nuclear relegation pick. I've gone for Southampton. Now I've got a couple of notes here as to why, first of all, they've brought in six new signings which is fine, and I think a lot of their signings are, are, are young players who have a, a huge upside, really high ceilings, great potential, the likes of Gavin Bazunu, Sekumara, Romeo Lavia, Joe Aribo. Here's the problem with all these signings. They have a grand combined total of zero Premier League appearances between them. So for a team like Southampton who – took five points from their last available 36 last season. They really need some kind of, you know, proven Premier League strength to help turn that, turn the tide around. Um, and I'm I, like, I think Joe Rebo is a, a fantastic player. He did really well for Rangers. He was instrumental in them getting to the Europa League final. Um, I just worry a little bit about the physicality of the Premier League compared to somewhere like the Scottish League. And, and is he going to have trouble adjusting uh, when, you know, every result they're going to have to battle tooth and nail for. Uh, and, you know, some of their existing players, I think uh, both Armstrongs have been a bit snake bitten, Adam Armstrong and Stuart Armstrong. Che Adams is always a huge question mark in terms of, will he get goals or will he not? And they, uh, they lost Armano Goya. Yeah. That's an excellent point actually. Cause he was a, a huge focal uh, focal point of their attack last season. And not having him will definitely be a, a goal deficit, in my opinion, uh, because I don't know that they've done particularly well to replace him. So, I think what those what those new signings lack in Premier League experience, at a club level, they have enough Premier League experience just with existing in the Premier League that I think it will be enough to keep them up. I've got them down kind of low, but I think in the end. They have a good mixture of players with a lot of experience and also just the history of the club, right? They've, they've been here for a while now. So I just think, I think that'll be enough. Yeah. Yeah. I don't necessarily disagree. I just also, I start to wonder about this sort of, I would almost call it a fragmentation of, of their identity as a club in, well, tactically anyway, or system wise, because Hasenhutl has for some reason, this continues to come up over and over is, is a product of the Red Bull system. And so he utilizes a lot of those principles that, that, uh, you know, the Red Bull system is, is infamous for the high energy kind of high octane style possession-based quick ball movement. I just think over the last couple of years, they've slowly just been declining into a state where their identity has dissolved into a state of nothingness. Essentially. I, I just don't look at Southampton and think of, that sort of red bullish identity like I used to whenever Hasenhutl was touted amongst the, you know, the best managers in the league. I think at one point we did a, a rankings podcast for all the Premier League managers and I had Hasenhutl third or fourth, you know, some kind of absurd number like that. I wouldn't put him anywhere near that high now. So I just wonder if they are going to struggle to find an identity as a club. Let's move on to Reese now because you mentioned this team that's going to outwork uh, the three other clubs that are getting relegated. And I think I have an idea of who that is, but I want you to go ahead and introduce them. 
Uh, I've gone for Nottingham Forest. Uh, they're the newcomers. Obviously, like the other two teams I mentioned, Fulham and Bournemouth, they're coming up this season. Um, and doing it through the playoffs, uh, yes. Um, but I think, you know, we've, we've seen on multiple occasions that coming through the playoffs, like Brentford did, right? Um, Brentford came through the playoffs, right? Yeah, they did, yeah. Yes. Um, you know, sometimes it's more important to, to be able to make it through the playoffs than it is to just win the win the league outright. Because you when you win the league outright, the championship, there's some kind of complacency there that creeps in. But when you have to fight to the very end to get through the playoffs, then you now enter the next season already with some kind of, you know, some like you have something Chip on to your prove. shoulder type. Yeah you, yeah, you have something to prove. Um, and we we've mentioned uh, before that they had some areas they needed to address um, specifically Jed Spence. Um, Cause you know, they, he did not come back on loan. Um, they've brought in Neko Williams, which I think is a great bit of business, right? I've been impressed every time he's played for Liverpool. Um, I think he'll do just fine there. Uh, but you know, when I look at their team's quality, I don't necessarily think that it's better than Brentford. Like I was saying, I just think that, you know, they have something to prove and, I think they're going to prove it and they're going to escape relegation this season. I'll chime in because I also had Nottingham Forest 17th. Um, I going along with what Reese said, you know, they just they signed so many good players. You know, the ones that particularly stand out to me are the team that they are from the team that they beat in the playoffs, uh, Huddersfield, you know, bringing in Lewis O'Brien and Harry Tofolo. You know, those are just great players to, you know, add to your team. Uh, but they have also added the likes of Dean Henderson, who could possibly play in goal. I think something was going on with their goalkeeper that he joined a different team after last season. Yeah. Is that true? Oh, yeah. yeah. Bryce Samba. He joined Lons. Samba. Yeah. And so adding Dean Henderson uh, is good. You know, they just added a lot. Lingard. Players. Lingard as yep. well. Um, and so I had them, you know, not going down, but I, I think I had them at 17th particularly is because, you know, it's just an adjustment. You know, it's their first time in a while being back in the Premier League. So it'll just be a little bit of an adjustment, you know, getting this team to gel well as well. Because, you know, they have all these new players and, you know, just trying to make a team. So that's why we got them at 17th. Yeah, the mass influx of players is always a question mark. We've seen it not pan out for a number of teams. Uh, You think of Fulham uh, when they got relegated. And you think of Aston Villa, the season that they narrowly avoided relegation um, on the final day. Two very similar stories. I've actually got them in 15th, so I'm a little bit higher than than you guys are on them. I think Steve Cooper's a good manager, much as I don't really like his face, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, I do think he's a capable manager. I think uh, they're going to utilize that back three system that I just talked about. Uh, And they've been recruiting quite well into that system. So I looked into this this today because I was curious about uh, their new center back, Musa Niakate, who they brought in from the Bundesliga. Uh, He's actually a left-sided specialist in a back three. Uh, which I think is a really smart bit of recruitment because that is famously a position that a lot of teams struggle to fill. Um, So I think a smart bit of recruitment, it seems that their recruitment is quite a bit more targeted than the likes of Fulham and Villa were when they came up. Um, Of course, there is always that issue that Ethan mentioned of, is the team going to gel? And we won't know until, until they either do or don't. Uh, I also think Jesse Lingard is such a great bit of business great piece of business he's premier league proven he's you know got premier league ex- quite a bit of premier league experience and it was on a free um they did not have to pay for him so it's 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 just a great signing all around uh, and he 
he we've seen it we saw it uh specifically at west ham uh you know he he does such a great job at connecting uh the midfield to the attack and the defense to the midfield and just moving the ball right as much as i dislike him because he always scores against us uh i just think it's a great bit of business and yeah, he probably I mean, still feels like he's got a chip on his shoulder too from, oh, from yeah. what's gone on at united yeah people can hate him for being a you know a goofball but he always he's a game changer yeah okay uh i will slide down and throw another team in in your direction this is the team I've got 16th. I know we're kind of jumping about a bit, but another team just narrowly escaping relegation. I've actually gone for Everton. <laughs> I'm guessing you've also gone for Everton in 16th. Yeah, yeah give, us, give us a line. Yeah. Get, okay, let's go then. Give, I, uh, give us a line on Everton. I hope I'm wrong about Everton. I hope they do worse and get relegated. <laughs> we, just all think... my homies hate Everton. <laughs> yeah. They just have not recruited well this summer. Uh well, it's because they spent all their damn money in the past. Yeah. Transfer windows. They just, I don't know, man. They seem all over the place. And I, I still don't think Lampard was the right person to bring in. Um, I don't think he's very good. I don't I'm either. But I also just don't think he's, he's not known for keeping clubs up. We no. talked about this when uh, we were looking, we were comparing him and uh, what's his face? Oh my gosh. Steven Gerrard? No, no, no. He used to be at he's at Norwich now. Oh, Dean Smith. Yes. Which, you know, it's kind of ironic since uh they ended up getting relegated. They ended up getting relegated, but I think my thoughts still ring true, you know. You look at who was available. Dean Smith known for um bouncing back from the championship and and also, you know, keeping that team up, right? He did it with Aston Villa. Obviously, he went down with Norwich, but it was a lot tougher of an ask. Well, they I were just, almost down by the time. Yeah, they were, they were dead when they brought him in, right? Yeah. But it's like, you know, you on one hand, you have Dean Smith, who has come up with Aston Villa, has also kept them alive. Um, and then you have Lampard, who, um, you know, got sacked at Chelsea. He did uh, almost bring Darby up, but like... I don't know. It's just completely different quality there. Still relatively unproven. I just don't know if he is ready for that kind of pressure to be fighting for relegation. Obviously he did it last season, but I think that was more, that was more of a situation with what I was talking about Southampton, where the club itself has enough experience with being in the prim that they were able to hang up and uh, stay up. But I don't know if that'll be enough this season. I don't know if they can just use that again. They needed to recruit better. Yeah, so I, I've actually got a, a prediction of the. this is the exact reason I think Everton are going to stay up. I think Lampard is going to be there, get a mixed bag of results, probably worse than a mixed bag. He'll be sacked by November. And then who is going to come in but Sean Dyche? Sean Dyche! Because they have a mass diaspora of Burnley players. James Tarkovsky, uh, they've just signed Dwight McNeil as well. And uh, Michael Keane played under uh, Daesh at Burnley as well. It just makes sense. I think Lampard will coast through to November, get sacked. They'll bring in Daesh, and he'll rally the team and get enough points for them to uh, to stay alive. So I just realized I talked about Everton like I had them in 20th, uh, but it's, it's because I'm manifesting it. Yeah, manifest, shout out. Yeah. Um, the the thing about Everton is, uh, you know, we kind of talked about Lampard already, but 
you know, they, the elephant in the room for me is that they just lost their player that was keeping them like hanging in the, like ha- barely hanging on in Richarlison. Yeah. Literally you know, kept he, them up last season. <laughs> yeah. And so they, they lost him and they're at the point of they've spent so much money that they can't replace him now, really. Granted, you know, your Dwight McNeil's and stuff like that, you know, good player. Yeah. You can't do as well as, you know, as Charleston did for that club. So um, they still have Calvert Lewin, but he's prone to injury. He's so injury prone. It's I, I have, there's I feel like there's always it's like a Premier League bingo. Every season there's going to be a Calvert Lewin in, uh, injury. I almost said interview, but I'm sure he gets interviewed all the time. Anyway, <laughs> there will be an interview. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, no, but they they just they lost their best player. I know they brought in Tarkovsky, but you know the likes of you know Yuri Mina and Michael Keane aren't really amazing at defense. Um, and then I I was watching you know people talk about their own predictions, and someone basically said that Everton just don't really have their identity at the moment. You know they're kind of just lost and kind of coasting. So. Also, Tarkovsky is a great player, but he also just got relegated. And I know it's players around him. Yeah, it's fine to look at the teams that get relegated and take a take a look at their players and be like, oh, which players were standout players from this side. But when you yourself are fighting for relegation, I don't really know if you want to look at players that were already of that same quality. Like you should be shooting for a little bit higher up, maybe around players in the 14th, 15th, 16th range, right? But right. yeah. Well, Ethan, you bring that up. I don't know that I could tell you what Frank Lampard's identity is as a manager. Like yeah. I'm not a hundred percent sure. I don't know that he has cohesive ideas that that manifest themselves on the pitch. Yeah. I, yeah. So, I also want to say I don't I feel like, you know, I don't want to be on the we hate Frank Lampard train, right? I just don't I, I just think he's been given too tough of a job more than once i think darby was a good place for him and i think he should have stayed there maybe another year or yeah gone to a team of similar quality but instead he went to chelsea right away which are in champions league that made way no too sense. big of an ask then he goes to everton fighting for relegation battle ends up keeping him up but it's still a huge ask he's just he's just way way out of his uh way out of it what am i trying to say he's way out, out of his of, depth yeah he's way out of his depth i feel like yeah. Yeah, I agree. So uh, I've already given my 15th t- uh, place team away. So someone else throw a name at me. Uh, Leeds. Okay. Let's see. Where have I got Leeds? I've got Leeds in 14th. So, you know, close enough. Basically the same position. Uh, yeah. What's your rationale there? So, you know, the way I look at it, we've kind of talked about it a little bit. We do know that they've lost Rafinha, Calvin Phillips. Obviously, probably two of their best players in that team. Um, they've got uh, Jesse March at the helm. He's basically brought in a bunch of talented young players, uh, most of them American, to kind of, you know, make their own rebuilding project. Um, the thing is, it's just, you know, adjusting to life without your star players. Because obviously, once those players are gone, the players who have been playing with them are going to try. It's, it's going to be a change for everybody. And um, I, and like I said, it's a good investment, but you know, they, they're losing these players that have been a part of the team for a while. And so, you know, while I think these players that they've brought in will help them not get relegated, I think it'll kind of just be in, you know, take a few seasons to gel well together and rebuild kind of like how I viewed palace, you know, last season. Yeah. And you know, those two players, 
are especially Rafinha really is who I'm referencing. He's someone that can win you points all on his own. And now without that, I feel like they're going to have to really depend on that system, really depend on their core unit of players rather than having someone like Rafinha that can win you points from nothing. Um, so yeah. this is going to be a huge testament to Jesse Marsh's ability as a manager. Can he make the sum of the parts greater or make the whole greater than the sum of the parts? That's the phrase. Yeah. And, you know, this can go for a bunch of the teams in the Premier League. They've A lot of the teams have been having good preseason uh, or, you know, games. Leeds have had a lot of good uh, games. You know, we saw a pass from, I think it was Brendan Aronson. Uh, that was just really good. But the thing is, yeah, you know, how are, they, yeah, how are they going to fare in the Premier League? Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a whole different story. So obviously we'll see it once the season starts. But um, I think in long term, this is just going to be a big rebuilding season for Leeds. So yeah, I've I got, do. Oh, sorry. Sorry, you go ahead. I was just going to say, I do think they'll have enough to stay up, but I don't think it'll be easy. Yeah. I've got Southampton in 15th. Um, my thought process, funny enough, is actually very similar to yours, Gage. Uh, it's just not as catastrophic in my mind as it is for you. Um, I think they, you know, it is a little bit of an issue, right? They've gone with a big gamble on these young players with no Premier League experience, but I think they already have enough experience um, with the other players in the side and just within the club generally that they'll be okay, at least in my in my mind. So I feel like now we're coming into this kind of swath of teams in this is basically the mid-table zone, right? Uh, there's a group of, I don't know, eight, seven or eight teams that could easily finish anywhere from eighth to 15th. Uh, so, you know, this, this portion of the table is probably going to be our most differential. Um, so it's going to be a little bit word salad, I feel like, but let's just kind of start touching on teams as we go through. Um, uh, Reese, did you, sorry, did you have Southampton 15th or 14th? 15th. Who have you got 14th? I have Brighton in 14th. Um, well, wow. Before you, okay. Before you before you cut in, I actually had Southampton 14th. Um, that okay. way we can go off of that. Um, I I do think the signings they brought in were were decent. You know, I talked about uh, Bella Kotchap a little bit and how good he was in uh, the league two of uh, the German football, um, as well as Joe Arabo. You know, he had a in preseason uh, he had a great run and you know he just played well at Rangers. But I wrote down that it's just it's not enough. The signings are not enough to make a huge difference. You know, they're not galvanizing players. Players like who have asserted themselves in their team like Ward Prowse has. Granted, he's been there for a while, but, you know, just player, not huge, like, players. Yeah. That's why I have him 14. So, Brighton, see, this is what I mean. This is hugely differential because I've got them quite a bit higher. Yeah. I just don't think they've uh, recruited very well, and they're also about to lose Kukureya. That's pretty much what it comes down to for me. Um, I don't know. I, I think the manager's great. I think they've had a good system, but, you know, they've needed a little bit of oomph, a little bit of that next step, right? Um, a good goal scorer, uh, mainly. Just somebody consistent. Um, and instead, you know, they brought in basically unknown players that I, I didn't really know who they were. And then they did, but I'm going to throw a name at you. This is this is one that I think I Ethan cover your ears. This is one that I think Brighton fans could look out for uh, this season. Dennis Undav, I think, 
could actually no. be <laughs> I think he could actually be quite a good goal scorer in the Premier League. Yes, it's true that he's only scored goals in the Belgian League thus far, uh, but his goal scoring record is absurd. So Yeah, you know, I, I remember you talking about him and um he, he could be really great. Uh the way I look at it is that it's this is very much a Alexander Surloth situation. He had so many goals for Trabzonspor in the Turkish League, and we signed him from Michelin. Uh, where he scored more goals and appearances. And I think it genuinely boils down to, can he do it in a top five league? Yeah. So, yeah. Which of course remains to be seen and easily he might not. And I look like an idiot. However. Yeah. Again, uh, like I mentioned, they have not really recruited as far as defense goes. And it's looking more and more likely that Kukurea is heading for a, a, probably like a final day exit because things yeah. just aren't mm. progressing although as of today they progressed pretty quickly with chelsea so they may have time to reinvest but he was he's just such an important player to them that i don't know if you know even if undov is able to score a, bu- a handful of goals right you know then it comes down to can they score more more goals than they concede yeah not to mention basuma was arguably their best player last season and he's exited the team. So I I do understand the rationale. I guess I am just uh, too much of a hipster and put too much faith in uh, Graham Potter because in my notes, I literally just wrote down same old, same old Potter will do an excellent job and they will comfortably consolidate at mid table. That's literally what I wrote down. I have no other thoughts. So, I mean, I wrote down Potter is a great manager. Um, You know, like, like we mentioned, they lost Basuma. They're probably going to lose Kukurea. And the thing about it is that if they do sell Kukurea in these next few days before the, the window closes, you know, maybe a little bit later, it's will they be able to recruit someone good enough to make up for the yeah. spot that's going to be left? Yeah. You would think, you know, maybe with all this money, they would be able to. But we've seen it before. They've dropped questionable signings, you know, players that we just never heard of. But then again, they brought in players like Kukurea who are actually really good. Uh, pay, uh, I'm not even going to think about, you know, a Brighton player, but well, he may not be one for much longer. So true. Yeah. I can bleep it now. And then when, once he moves, we can unbleep it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you've still got the likes. I mean, there's, there's a few players that were unknowns. I mean, uh, have been good. Enoch Muepu's, yeah. uh, your Moises Caicedo, who was kind of a revelation towards the end of the season. It, it's very much a shotgun blast approach, um, signing lots of players that check out, well analytically and then seeing if they could cut it um which does result in that kind of mixed bag but i think they're one sorry i think they're one of the best run clubs in the premier league um so i generally have faith in them as an organization that being said like i don't think 14th is a catastrophic season for them anyway um so you know like i said this swath of teams is kind of interchangeable um So let's uh, get to another name then. Ethan, have you got uh, someone different? For which position? Uh, Either 14th or 13th, whatever's next for you. So I talked about Southampton um, already. So let's go to 13th. Who I have in 13th? I've got Wolves. I've got Wolves as well. Just because uh, I'm going to move my. (laughs) Let me go to the end. The page is turning. I wish we I, I wish we could hear the, the actual pages flipping. Yeah. It'd be so much more dramatic. Some <laughs> are going on. Um, so they have 
uh, Wolves 13, they have brought in the likes of uh, Collins, who was, uh, you know, a pretty up-and-coming defender. But that's about it. Yep. You know, yeah. like we mentioned it before, the teams that are in the mid-table that are improving, uh, if you don't improve, you're going to be left in the dust. And they've basically only improved in that area. And right now, it looks like Jimenez is their only striker. And, you know, he's had trouble, like, injury trouble recently. So Yeah. I won't spoil who yet, but I've, I've got them slightly higher because I think they just have, despite not improving, they've improved more than another club. <laughs> um, I'll throw up my 13th because it's a team we've already talked about, or at least y'all two talked about, and that's Leeds. I'm a little bit higher up on them than y'all are, but I think that may just be the the uh, American national team coming out. Uh, I'm really excited to see these players play, um, mm-hmm. but I actually think their recruitment has been fantastic. I've, you know, I've followed these players really closely. Um, some of these players anyway, and you know, it is a gamble. We've seen, we've seen teams sign a million players and it doesn't pan out, but I think Jesse Marsh is going to, is going to be the one to, uh, to break the mold. Yeah, well, and they had to do it too. It's not like they they did. It's not like they had much of an option. So yeah, it's do or die for them. Uh, yeah, wolves. I'm with you, Ethan. I think just the the stagnance of the squad is is my biggest concern for them. This is another team that's actually switching away from the back three system. We're seeing uh, that's kind of a trend among a few of these kind of mid- lower mid table teams. Bruno Lage is, is returning to the 4-2-3-1, which he utilized uh, when he was coach at Benfica. Uh, so that could be an interesting one to, to check out. Now, here's, here's the thing, though, and I actually have a question for Reese on this, the old, uh, the old shape gambit question. So Wolves is famously a squad that is built and designed to play a back three. They've played a back three for a 1,000 years under uh, Nuno for their entire tenure in the Premier League and then last season under Bruno Lage. How much of an issue do you think it is that they could possibly be placing square pegs and round holes as it regards the formation? Or do you think it's easily translatable? I think it's easily translatable for one reason, and that is Max Kilman. I actually think he will suit the back four system better than the back three. Um, I, I just think he's fantastic on the ball. He's a good ball playing center back. Um, and he's going to be able to be that answer to the solution where, you know, you have a little bit less cover in the back three, less bodies available. I think he's going to be the one to um, to connect the defense to the rest of the team. All right. Excellent stuff. OK, uh, so Wolves at 13th. I'm going to move up now to another team who maybe I have them too low. I don't know, but I've got Aston Villa sitting at 12th. Now, I, my, my main – this is kind of another thing with, with te- these teams that bring in managers like your Gerrards, uh, and I mentioned this with Lampard, and I kind of have this issue with Hasenhutl and a few others. I just don't really know what their identity is, and maybe that's, a, maybe that's a shortcoming of mine and that I haven't watched enough Villa games, but I'm not honestly sure I can tell you much about their style of play or, or their tactical nuance. And also – uh, the big question I have here, we mentioned this last time, can Gerard make it stick without Michael Beal at his side? The man who's taken the QPR job, he was the tactical, uh, well, allegedly he was the tactical mastermind behind the team. So I'm interested to see if Gerard can pull some results out of the bag. 
I'm not sure he can. And that's one of my biggest reasons for, um, for having Villa down in 12. Yeah, no, I, I get that for sure. You know, Gerard joined Villa you know, late in the season, but um, from what I can tell, you know, like you mentioned, their identity is kind of hard to figure out at the moment, but from what I gather, it's just fast buildup. You know, they've got these really fast players, um, you know, trying to get on the front foot early, but um, oh, I, was, I was not on Villa. Let me burn my book with. <laughs> like a child um i think for villa uh i I have them i have them actually way higher up uh you know they've brought in the likes of kamara uh diego carlos and they've gotten coutinho on the prim and i think it's just adding that quality to you know kind of break into the top 10 uh or even you know a little bit higher than that um and so it is just really i think up to gerard because we kind of see you know how these players play together and, you know, just kind of adding, you know, one or two good, really good players to that mix is, you know, could be game-changing. I don't have much to add on them besides that I just think they're better than the teams that I have below them. Yeah. Um, just just outright. I think their squad is just better currently. Okay. Now, you mentioned a team that you think uh, Wolves are just better than earlier. Who yeah. is that team? So my 12th place team is, uh, sorry, Josh, Leicester. Um, they have okay. not improved, and I would actually say they have regre- regressed in some key areas. Um, namely, they're losing Schmeichel for $1 million, Yeah, um, I can't believe that I, price. I know he's old, but, like, come on. That, he's been a part of them. That, that's, that is part of their identity. It's huge. Having that squad. Yeah. And it's not like he can't play. He's, every year he's one of the best goalkeepers in the league. So. Yep. Yeah, they're rumored, heavily rumored to be losing Telemans. Um, currently, Fofana. yeah. Uh, well, Chelsea are interested in Fafana. Lester said no way. Chelsea came back and said, "How about eighty million?" Lester said, <laughs> "Maybe, <laughs> maybe." Um, something about Lester and selling their center backs for eighty million, I guess. But yeah, well, Chelsea um, are in freak mode after the Jewel Kunde thing fell through, yeah. so. They're rumored to be possibly losing Madison as well. I think Newcastle just uh, came in with yeah. a bid. Yes, um, and uh, Brendan Rodgers was like eight, that, like fifty million will get you yeah. his legs. I think they rejected <laughs> they rejected the bid, but they have come in with another bid. So we'll see if they come and they come up and meet the asking price. But there's just so many question marks surrounding the club. They they're not rumored really to bring to be signing anyone, and instead they're losing so many key players potentially. Um, so unless something's serious happens in the transfer window um from now until until then 12th is the highest i can see them i mean i we talked about them already but i had brighton kind of higher than reese did which is funny because i hate the i hate the lot but um 11 i have lester 11th and i i I I do as well i agree heavily with what uh, we've been saying you know they just haven't and we've talked about it with wolves they basically are going backwards and not bringing in anybody right now um a lot of the rumors they've ha- they've had have all been out outgoings. Yeah, and it's just I do want to bring up one player. This is their uh, alleged Schmeichel replacement. One of the best names I've ever heard: Odysseus Vlakotimos, the Greek goalkeeper awesome. from Benfica. Uh, uh, so that is just one hell of a name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just you know, no signings doesn't really spark joy. Um. And, you know, that team is just very injury prone. 
it just it happens every season. You know, Josh kind of talks about it all the time, but, um, you know, Fofana's coming back from a big injury. Um, and Didi's always injured. Yeah. And, you know, talking about selling center backs, that's like the one position they need at the, the most right now. Yeah, no so, doubt. I don't, and I, we talked about it on the transfer podcast. So there was talk of, you know, Vestergaard possibly leaving, but, you know, I don't know why they're entertaining the idea of getting rid of all their center backs at the moment. I'm not sure. I'll briefly mention Wolves because I already alluded to the fact that I had them one above Leicester. Um, I have Wolves in 11th. Um, very similar to Leicester in that they haven't made signings, but the difference is is that they also haven't really sold any important players. Um, so I think they've just retained um, their squad for the most part. Uh, and they have added a few names, I guess, right? But yeah, I just think they're not much to add. From what you all said, I, I just think they're slightly better than Leicester in that sense. Okay, so I've got Brighton in 10th. So start kicking off the top 10. That's where I've got them. We already talked ad nauseum about them, so we'll skip over it for now. Uh, who have you guys got to start off the top 10 here? So you all talked about Villa earlier. I've got Villa in 10th. Um, I think they do have the quality to get top 10. Uh, and I think... Uh, the difference maker for me is Coutinho. I think since they brought him in in January, the team just changed dramatically. Um, and I think getting him on a permanent is absolutely huge. Um, and I think it'll be enough to, to get them over the line in that sense, get them into the top 10. Yeah, so I will bring up my 10th place, and that is my own team, Crystal Palace. And so the thing about us is that, you know, we're kind of just building off of last season, which we did really good with recruiting and, you know, kind of figuring out what Vera wants to do with this team. And, you know, it's, it's been a joy to watch. Uh, the only the thing, or, or first of all, you know, we brought in the likes of uh, Ebioe and Quanch, both from Derby County. They've looked great in the preseason. Um, we've brought in a good goalkeeper in Sam Johnston. Um, and then our two big signings so far um, have been Czech Decore from Lons. And Chris Richards, the American, and both of those guys are going to be excellent. And so that just adds to the team. You know, the thing, the reason I didn't put us any higher than 10th is because, you know, we've just lost Gallagher. You know, he was a big part of our squad. You know, Palace fans can argue that he didn't do too much towards the end of the season. But I think at that point, you know, the rest of our players were kind of picking up, you know, their own quality. And so we, we were kind of all shining together. Um we're hope I'm hoping that you know we don't have to worry too much about the right back spot because you know that's the place that we need to start thinking about more a little bit, uh, and then just consistency. You know, there were plenty of games last season where we just lost points in like the dying minutes, and you know I think we would have done a lot better if that just didn't happen. So, um, you know, it is a young squad. You know, players are working out their own uh, personal things. Um, so I think you know. Maybe we can cut it a little bit and move up a little bit, but I still think that'll happen a little bit. So is 10th a successful season in your mind? I do. You know, I think it's too early to be, you know, pushing for, oh, we should be getting Europa, or not Europa League, but European tournaments. Uh, I think anywhere just progressing off of the back of each season would just be a bonus because, um, you know, we, we are rebuilding and, you know, we're securing our spot while thinking of the future because, you know, teams that aren't preparing for the future might have a trouble, but you, we've got so many young players right now that 
you know, it could be favorable for us and that we could have a, a time in the Premier League where we are, you know, a top half regular. So I would say Where'd it is. finished last season, sorry? 11th? I think 12th. Yeah, I think it's 12th. 12th. Yeah, let me, okay. I have I have the table up. Let me check real quick. Yeah, there was towards the end of the season we we put in yeah, we were 12th. We put in a few good results towards the end. So uh yeah. I, I think we'll do I think we'll do swell. Get 10th. Well, I think that was everybody's tenth. I'll go ahead and say my ninth because it's more of the same with what you just said. I've got Palace in ninth. Um, I've also got Palace in ninth. Yeah, I'm a little higher up on them than I guess you are. Um, and I think, you know, it's always it's always safe to to be a little humble, but I think yeah. y'all have improved more than you're giving yourself credit for. I think uh, the recruitment's been really good. I think you found your Gallagher replacement. Obviously, Premier League unproven, but um, he's like so good. Yeah, statistically and analytically, he lines up. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, I think the squad itself is just is just really coming together. I think, you know, Elise is ready to be starting every game. Um, Eze will probably be starting. Um, so much burgeoning Mateta, talent on this squad. Yeah, Mateta yeah Mateta's really, back in form. Yeah, mm-hmm. he really blossomed towards the end of last season. So, um, and obviously, the defense was a was a really high high point for y'all. And you've just gone and improved upon it by bringing in Chris Richards and also Sam Johnston. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, I wouldn't actually, I wouldn't be surprised to see y'all be pushing for, uh, for, for maybe even eighth, but ninth is where I've uh, placed y'all. So I think the, the top eight teams we've got, we've each got the same eight. Now the question is just what configuration are they in? Um, I suspect I think, that seven and eight are probably the two, the same two teams for both of us. So I'm going to go out on a limb and say that we've got, Oh, maybe not. Reese has got a smirk. Well, real quick. I I have a villa night. Oh yeah. My bad. I forgot. I forgot to mention they were higher up. Uh, It's funny. I actually, I I told y'all yesterday when we were doing something together that I wasn't going to touch my team anymore, but I made one last change as we were talking and I've put villa ninth. Um, and I'll talk about the team that I switched them with a second ago because, uh, you know, I've, I've been very, you know, praiseworthy of Villa, you know, with all these signings. But it is a question of will Gerard keep them, you know, doing keep keeping the consistency, kind of like how I am saying that Palace need to work on. So, um, yeah, that's just why I have them ninth. Anyway, to eighth. Yeah, I'm going to throw out a team here. Newcastle. I'm guessing Newcastle is in the range. Uh, or I have them. I switched them with Villa, but they're at least in the range, Reese. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So and now the uh, if <laughs> judging by your smirk, I'm trying to figure out who you have eighth. I'm guessing it's. I, I'm gonna let's talk about these teams together. West Ham. Have you got West Ham eighth? Yeah, I've got West Ham eighth. Okay, so I've got I've got Newcastle eighth and West Ham seventh. Um, so let's talk about these teams together because I think Me they too. are fairly similar. Um, as regards their outlook on the season, obviously for different reasons and the fact that Newcastle are, are continuing to benefit from their influx of cash while West Ham are just generally consolidating the position. Uh, so Reese, you've actually backed Newcastle to get that final European place. Yeah, they're, uh, I actually don't have them in seventh. I have, I have them <laughs> in sixth. Oh, I think I know who's in seventh then. What a yeah, shout probably. by you. Um, 
Yeah, I'll, I guess I'll just say it. I've got Newcastle and uh, and West Ham making a Manchester United sandwich there with uh, Man U and seven. <laughs> okay, well let, let's let's have a line on Newcastle here. Um, obviously, eighth I think would still be a good a successful season um, for I mean, them. They literally, you know, had half a season with Steve Bruce and had him in nineteenth. Yeah. So. Think about a full season with the second half season of last season. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I just think like they are, they're a great team and, and they've got all of these new talents in the squad. Eddie Howe is looking to improve as he was last season. I just think they need a couple more seasons, maybe just one more season to, um, you know, consolidate the team before they can fully challenge for Europe. And I still worry a little bit about the lack of end product. Um, I think defensively and in midfield, they're going to be uh, a really good unit. I just don't know if they're going to be able to score enough goals to prepare them, to propel them up the table uh, to the levels that you've got them at. Yeah. And I mean, Chris Wood, good striker. He's not going to be like your Danny Ings was for Southampton where he just scores like so many goals. Yeah. So yeah, he, he, and he did struggle towards the end of the season for Newcastle a little bit. Um, I know he kind of gained a reputation towards the end for missing sitters. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Newcastle's kind of an, an easy-ish pick to have in this range just because of everything that's going on with them. But West Ham, on the other hand, I so for me, there's always this team for, for a couple seasons. Like uh, it used to be Everton a long time ago. Uh, then it was Wolves. Uh, yeah. And now it's West Ham, this kind of perennial seventh place finisher. Uh, and I, that's what I've got for West Ham. I think just their rhythm with David Moyes, I think they're better than – they're just kind of exactly what Everton used to be famous for. They're better than everyone else below them, in my opinion, And but they're not as good as the top six. They can't break into the top six just yet. Yeah. Uh, and that's just kind of my summary – a summary position on, on what I think of West Ham. They've obviously brought in Skamaka, which is going to be a huge signing because, of course, Antonio was their only – well, I say recognized striker. He's not even necessarily that, um, but he was their only source of goals. Uh, he, Skamaka, as I was looking, essentially profiles like an Italian Tammy Abraham, uh, which could translate really well to the Premier League. He's six foot 20, um, and he wins almost every aerial uh, – that that gets that comes his way 2.47 aerial duels one per 90 which is a great number he's um, gonna cook I'm, yeah i'm just saying yeah so and that announcement video was uh yeah a, that a was great high. video so yeah the way i look at west ham i also have them uh i think seventh i already moved my yeah seventh um you know skamaka obviously great signing um the one th- the reason you know kind of why i didn't put them any higher than that was because you know the defense is something that they need to be looking for because they've they've got a good situation going in front of the defense. They've had, you know, Kurt Zuma issues. You know, they've had a lot of injuries. They did just sign, a, I think it's a GERD or look, yeah, something, something like, that. like that. Just got injured. Talk about it in the last podcast. And so it's just, you know, improving the areas that they need to. A demonic part of me wants to, to put them above Man United, but I couldn't bring myself to do it. I couldn't. I couldn't drop them that low. So but. it's funny, Ethan, that you mentioned actually ahead of the defense because I've got, I've just got written down here that midfield might be a concern. Um, 
because Thomas Suchek sort of fell off the face of the earth last season. Uh, you know, he had that really good breakout season and then no one really heard from him in the in, uh, last season. I feel like he, he was really good in the Europa League, but in the Premier League, I don't think he made as nearly as much of an impact as he did previously. Um, and I, I think just that, they've got sorry. They've just got so much naff in the midfield, like Ben Rama, Vlasic, Lanzini, Fornals. Like these are all just they're just the same player over and over again. And they're all not great contributors, but they are of a certain standard. So it's just so difficult to tell what they're going to do in that regard. Yeah. And I, and that's understandable. Cause you know, it's, it's really just a rotation every time. Cause you know, we'll see Lanzini get a run and then we'll see, you know, or get a run every so often. But um, the way I look at it is that, you know, they've got a great man right in front of the, the defense and Declan Rice just improves yeah. every season and you know i've kind of talked about him a little bit just because uh uh we were about to sign him but flynn downs i think he's ready to make the step up to the premier league just because you know he kind of profiles like declan rice in a sense not that they probably will be playing you know the same thing but you know he's just he looks good he well there he will be rotation so yeah so i think it, it'll all just be a you know picking the right team Okay, Reese, let's uh, <laughs> drop your bombshell. Uh, yeah, so I mentioned earlier I've got Man United in seventh. Um, let me just – I just don't think – let's take a look at who they've signed, right? They signed um, that winger that I'm forgetting his name, but I think that's kind of important that I'm forgetting his name because uh, – Man United, Terrell Malassia, is yeah. that who you're talking about? Yeah. Yes. They really need to be going after players that are proven or, you know, are world beaters, right? Yeah. Um, they've signed Lissandro Martinez for an absurd fee. He will probably start, and I do not think he is ready to start in the Prem. Um, I mentioned his height. I think it's fine to be a short defender, but I also think now that Holland is in the league and now that Skimaka is in the league, and now that Darwin Nunez is in the league. And now that Benteke is second now, Yeah, there's just so <laughs> many There's so many tall attackers. Um, and he's 5'9", and he's a center back. So the other, the other option is he doesn't start, and Maguire does. So <laughs> uh, I don't really think that's great. Um, they've lost Pogba, which I know a lot of Man U fans are down on Pogba, blah, blah, blah. I think Pogba's great. He was just never utilized well. Uh, Ronaldo's probably staying, which I think is a bad thing. Yeah, uh, I agree. I agree. Brings down the team. I don't know who knows if he'll actually start in the Ten Hag system, but um, he is probably going to be there at least. Um, oh, Frankie will. De Jong is not going to be joining, as far as we know. At least he's publicly said he does not want to join, so it'd be kind of weird if he did now. Um, so, just just where have they improved from last season? I would say nowhere. Yeah, I would say they have not improved a single position. They've brought in Ten Hag, but I don't think I don't think he can do it by himself. And maybe I'm being too down on Malasia. Maybe he's amazing, but he looks uh, okay. He's he's still a little bit of a a little bit of a gamble there. And I'm thinking back at the last like winger gamble that man you made, Dan James. Um just wasn't ready. He just mm-hmm. wasn't ready for that stage. And I think we could see that. I don't know if they brought Malasia in to start. Um and they do have some players that I think are rumored to be in the in the plans like Martial, I think Rashford, right, Jaden Sancho, but some of these players just 
they they've shown over the course of time that they just aren't consistent. So I've got yeah. a proposition for you uh regarding Lissandra Martinez. So the thing that United have famously been looking for and that's been a huge gaping black hole in their team has been this defensive midfielder because obviously they've relied for some time on this kind of double pivot structure with Fred and uh, McFred, essentially. Um, So I almost wonder if Ten Hag is going to attempt to adapt Lissandra Martinez into a defensive midfielder because he is a ball-playing center back already. Yeah, Um, And he has featured at that position before. Yeah, and I just, like, this is, it's so reductive to say this, but I really don't think you can be a successful center back in the Premier League at, at 5'9". Um, and that's coming from someone who tells people he's 5'9", because he's actually shorter and wants people to think that he's 5'9". <laughs> don't so, expose yourself. <laughs> now, well, listen, but the thing is, it's a reductive argument to say, well, he's not big enough, but it actually might be true in this certain case, unless he's got an insane vertical, which I guess is possible, but... <laughs> <laughs> He he jumps up to six four in his jump. No, yeah. that's Lucas Mora, man. Lucas Mora wins so many headers, and he's like five seven. Yeah, well, the the thing about it is that you know that uh, that center back position, you're automatically supposed to have someone who can defend on corners, and so when you remove him and you put someone who's not physically gifted, like like in in terms of height, you know. I appreciate the politeness with which you said that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking out for you. There, there's one other center back they have that is that the one thing he's known for is is winning aerial duels. And that is Harry Maguire, but that would require him to start games. Yeah, which I think is not a good idea. I I think yeah. he will start games now. I I know you hate Maguire. <laughs> I know you think he's trash. I don't think he's that bad. I think he's I no no. Listen, I don't think he's a very good defender, but I don't think he's as bad as he gets absolutely lambasted for, particularly by the likes of you. But uh, I will bring this up again, and it's the statistic I love to bring up, and it's that in Mustafi's worst Arsenal season, who I don't think anyone would disagree, he was awful. Yeah, he was brutal. There was one other defender who had more errors leading to goals, and that was Harry Maguire. And that was when he was at Leicester and he got sold for 80 million that season. So <laughs> I don't know what's going on. I mean, that, that is hard to argue with, but I, uh, you know, I can't even formulate anything to explain to you why <laughs> Maguire is a better defender than you give him credit for. But I will say that when I look at Maguire, I feel like he never plays with a ball playing center back. So it's always a struggle in the back to get rid of. The yeah. Ball. Cause Eric Bailly is not, Bai and Lindelof, I think, collectively have completed about 10 passes in their entire career. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, <laughs> to go back to what you were saying with Lissandra Martinez possibly playing CDM, I just think that if that was the original plan, and maybe it wasn't the original plan, maybe it's something he's going to, Ten Hag will come to later, but I think if that was in the works from the get go, we would have seen that happening in preseason already because that's the perfect time to try it out. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, uh, yeah, I can't really argue with that. I mean, it, it could possibly just be a bed-in type situation um, to where, you know, they want him to get comfortable with the team. But um, I I will say, I do expect, I know you mentioned that he's been inconsistent in the past, but I do think Jaden Sancho is going to have a breakout season this year. Um, he was, I think I awarded him my disappointment of the season last uh, in our uh, season three finale. 
I think just the Ten Hog system is so much friendlier to him. Plus, he's going to get to play on the right, which he never really did under Ranik, uh, which is, I mean, I don't know how much of a difference it really makes in terms of, like, he, he played on the left from time to time at Dortmund, but he's so much stronger on the right. And I just think that that'll enable him to, uh, to possibly have a breakout year. So now I should mention, I have them in six, so I'm not really, <laughs> I'm not arguing for Me them too. to, you know, end up in, you know, challenging for the top four. Um, kind of, I, I, sorry, you I was, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, talking about Ronaldo as great of a player as he is, you know, team, every team he goes to, he just becomes the focus. And, you know, sometimes that's not always a good thing. Like we're, like we're yeah. thinking, especially with such a system need. manager. When you when you have let's when you take a look back at where he was best at, let's take a look at, you know, Man U the first time or Real Madrid, right? Those are the two teams that he was really known for at being, you know, a great player at. Yeah. He had similar quality around. surrounding him. Yeah. So when you have that kind of quality around you, then you can make Ronaldo your focal point. But when you don't like United are currently, you can't Too much just expectations. Make him the, yeah, it's just it's, you can't rely on him so heavily. And on top of all that, I think like United back then were so much different to the United that we know now. Like it was very much fanfare, like the best players in the league. It was, you know, they were able to to put that spotlight on Ronaldo in a way that benefits his kind of character and ego for the lack of, you know, a better word. And the same thing at Real Madrid, you know, it's very much the Galacticos, the five-time Champions League winners, the La Decima, the everything in the world, like Ronaldo versus Messi. It was just so box office, which is what he really wanted. Um, and then, you know, he struggles, or I, I think he's going to struggle in a team which relies so heavily on the system like Eric Ten Hogs does, which is designed to get more out of the players than is on offer on paper, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, because at Real Madrid, every player in every position was so quality that you don't even – I mean, I'm not implying that they weren't tactically adept. Of course they were. But it's so much of a lesser import at that stage, the system that they were playing. So, yeah, okay. United at sixth. Ethan's got them there as well. I had Newcastle at sixth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sorry. Newcastle at six for Reese. Who is going to just miss out on the Champions League? For you guys, Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea. Okay, we're all in agreement on this one. Uh, I just worry about Chelsea because they began this transfer market at a ground mark or, or like a, a a benchmark of less than zero. Like they they're not starting from zero; they're starting from negative a billion because yeah. they <laughs> lo they lost every center back known to man except for Thiago Silva, who's forty years old. Uh, Trevor Chalaba, who struggled in preseason, and Malang Sar, who's been in and out of the team consistently since he arrived at Chelsea. Uh, and they've still only signed one person to fill potentially all three starting center back roles. Because I don't also think also a million years old. Yes. Yeah. And I don't think Thiago Silva is going to be someone that they look to to start this season. I don't think he you can rely on that forever. Um, and even towards the end of last season, he wasn't starting consistent consistently anyway. Uh, so I just worry about Chelsea because, and again, they have no striker, uh, because their 90 million pound striker has fucked off back to Italy. Yeah. Um, well, Timo Werner's still there, but 
you know. I don't I don't really classify him as a striker anyway. And yeah. word on the street is that they're trying to shift him on. So they could do the I Man could, City gambit. Yeah, I could see was Sterling up front. <laughs> oh, see, I actually could see them going the center forward route and having Havertz up top. Yeah, Kai Havertz more of a as a playmaker in that. Which is what he role, did at Leverkusen when the system was built around him. Yeah. Uh, so it could work, but yeah. Now I, I I will say I do think Sterling will get goals. Um, I think he's just so much of a proven goal scorer that they will come. And I think a lot of those uh, players around him, the likes of Pulisic, who's been largely disappointing over the last couple of years, uh, you know, as much as it, it, you know, pains me to say from an American standpoint, the likes of Ziyech is possibly on the way out of the club. Uh, Mason Mount will be there and thereabouts. He will score. He'll provide assists. Then you've got, you know, your kind of fringe men, Hudson Adoy, Loftus Cheek. Kennedy is back in the mix. Um, Gallagher's there now. Yeah, Gallagher's in the midfield. Just so many question marks over who's going to start, where are they going to start, what combination are they going to use in the midfield, what's going on with Jorginho. Uh, I just have way too many questions that haven't yeah. even remotely been close to be answered about Chelsea yet uh, for me to comfortably say they're going to finish in the top four. Plus, I just think... The two other London clubs, which we'll obviously get onto later, have improved so much. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The main thing it comes down for for me is you take a look at the end of last season. Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea were right around the same. There was even yeah. question marks about could Chelsea potentially fall out of top four last season. It didn't end up happening. A lot of things would have to have happened for that to go down, right? Yeah, lost 10 but... to Watford or whatever it was. <laughs> yeah, but it's like it was still close. So then you take a look at that. They're all similar quality. What have they done in the summer? Um, Tottenham have improved quite a bit. They've invested smartly. They've got, they've they've addressed their problem areas. Arsenal have gone in. They've also addressed their problem areas. They've improved depth. Chelsea have signed an old man. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. So I yeah I just don't think they've improved as much as the other London clubs, like you were saying. They haven't kept up. Yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree. Now the one factor I think could swing in their favor and I'm going to kind of start to bring in the Arsenal conversation here. Um, the only advantage I see Chelsea having over Arsenal is the fact that Thomas Tuchel is just a different class. I mean, he's one of these kind of Mount Rushmore managers a little bit. Um, and so I think while I do rate Mikel Arteta, I don't think he's at the same level as Thomas Tuchel. Um, and so that's the one thing I can possibly see Chelsea having over Arsenal that could result in um, a swapping of, of those two teams as far as Champions League qualification. I don't think it's enough of a differential to make a difference, obviously, because I've got Arsenal qualifying for the Champions League and, and not Chelsea. So I'm assuming you have us in fourth then. I do. I also have yellow fourth. Uh, I've gone for us in third. That may just be optimism, but I do think I it know be you very... don't have Spurs in fourth. I do. Oh my goodness. What you want me to put you all ahead of Liverpool? Wait, you but no, I want you to put us ahead of Arsenal. <laughs> I think it's closer than you're giving it credit for. Uh -huh. And I know I was having this conversation with Ethan and I could be extremely wrong because I haven't watched any of your preseason games and I know you've been very impressed by Perisic. Well, we were shy against Roma, so <laughs> However, but you but you mentioned that Perisic was a standout player in that game. Yeah, he was, yeah. He's actually the player that 
draws the most question marks for me, mainly because of his age. And I know age doesn't always matter, but I think it matters in the wing pack wingback position, specifically in the Premier League. Because I know he played wingback in Italy, but the Premier League is just a different type of system. And we saw it happen with uh, with uh, Daugherty. And he was already a wingback, but his age just kind of caught up with him and he couldn't hang. So I just don't know if Perisic is... is he was right better towards there. the end of last season, though, I'll say. Yes, he did Daugherty improve. Daugherty, specifically. Yeah, he did improve, but Perisic is the question mark for me. I just don't know... And I know you got him for free, but I don't know if he was the correct decision instead of going in for a long-term option. Well, I think the reason we didn't is because the long-term option is already at the club. Uh, I think Ryan Sessegnon is that long-term option. Um, and and he, he's not at the level that he needs to be yet this season um, or, or towards the end of last season, though he was showing consistent improvement. Uh, I will say, I know it's just preseason, but Perisic is in unbelievable shape. Normally, I would absolutely agree with you about the age thing, but this guy's a freak. Like, I, I mean, and it may come back to bite me, and he may spend the entire season injured. I don't know. But uh, the guy's an absolute freak of nature. So. I'll also say, like you mentioned, it's just preseason. You can't bank everything on it. But Gabriel yeah. Jesus scored a billion goals in preseason, uh, and it makes yeah. me really excited. And, you know, analytically, you take a look at Arsenal last year, the only piece of the puzzle we were missing was someone who could score goals. And if Jesus pans out like I think he is going to, we're instantly higher quality. We're like We're just instantly so much better than we were. And it doesn't stop there. He wasn't the only position we've improved in. We've signed other players in other positions. Um, so, yeah. And again, it may be optimism, but I still think it's closer than you might be giving it credit for. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, the thing is, I I just think there's there's three people that make a difference to the – and it, this is the thing. I, I, I think Spurs are going to be in the mix – I'm not going to say for the title, but they will be in the mix for the top three positions. Um, and there's three reasons for that. Son, that's two. <laughs> Son, Kane, and Conte. Those are my three reasons. And I talked about this last season, but uh, Harry Kane's the fittest he's ever been. Uh, Son Heung-min's coming off a golden boot winning season where he didn't score a single penalty. Uh, and then you throw in Dan Kulisevsky into the mix and uh, Richarlison as well, who's kind of a wild card. I don't really know what to make of Richarlison and Spurs right now. I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, but you throw those two into the mix, and they're just game-breaking, world-class players. And then I think Antonio Conte just ekes so much, so much extra. Uh, he's going to eke out so many extra points uh, from situations that Spurs normally wouldn't get points just because of how high-quality he is as a manager. Additionally, we've recruited a set piece coach, which is something that we've somehow never had before because we're living in the stone age. Um, and I think just if Spurs can marginally improve on our set pieces, because we're so bad at set pieces, honestly, it's the worst part of our game. If we can marginally improve on attacking set pieces, I think it's an extra 10 goals a season, which makes an enormous difference. Um, I personally think it just comes down to transfers. I know you listed Conte as a reason, also Son and Kane. I think obviously those players are a league above the rest. However, we took you to the final day last season. 
it came down to no the no final. we took you to the final day last season because spurs were not even nearly in the race that's the thing on a skeleton squad too yes i mean technically that's how it was but you should have been above us and i know that's not really an excuse but it's just how it is i mean you have conte like you mentioned you have kane you have son we have a bunch of 22 year olds who haven't felt the pressure before. And we have a yeah. new up and coming manager. So even though that's how it was, that's, you know, it wasn't really like that in, in the mental anyways, the, the mental, like we didn't really, I don't know how to explain it the way I want to explain it, but anyway. yeah. Well, the thing about thing about Spurs is we had 12 usable players last season. Like the back half of last season, we had 12 usable players, uh, which is absurd, the amount of points that we got. And I will say, the only team in the league that didn't lose a single game to City and Liverpool is Spurs. The biggest problem that Spurs have is losing to random teams like Southampton, Wolves, Brighton, uh, Brentford, or well, we drew with Brentford, but you get the point. Uh, so as we bring in depth, which was our, my biggest concern, I just think we're going to eke out those extra results and we can still go... Uh, toe-to-toe with the big boys, which I'm not saying we're not going to lose to City and Liverpool again this season. I think that would be a ridiculously bold prediction. Um, but I think it's there, and that's why I have Spurs finishing second. Yeah, see, I think that's crazy. So Because I, I think, you know, despite who took who to the final day, it still went to the final day. So then whose signings We had 12 players! Squad? We had 12 players! Whose signings improved the squad more? Uh, and it's it's still up it's still up for debate. I also think, you know, we have some young guys in our squad that played well last season, but have still not even like they, they still have so much to improve on. Like, I think Sokka is going to even have, he's going to have an even better year than he did last year. I think Martinelli is going to, is going to have an even better year than he did last year. Odegaard's going to be a monster and he's going to be actually registering assists because he has a striker who can finish. In yeah. front of him. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of things to consider. Um, and I don't disagree with any of that for the record. I just think the diff, the level, like the margins are so margin for error this season is going to be so low. I, yeah. And I think having Tottenham third and Arsenal fourth would be okay, but I do not think y'all are two places higher than us. And I do not think you're better than Liverpool is what I'll say. Now this, this is the prediction that I, I'm, I mean, I'm not going to lie. This is nuclear. This is a, a brick shitter. Um, well, let's go to Ethan because we've we've been yakking it up here for a little bit. I, we I'm, had our we had our North London debate. I, yeah, I, I was did. like I was like I'm going to say anything. Yeah, I, I'm just curious to see what Ethan's got on the table. So, um, are are we moving on to our second and first, or do you want me to discuss my fourth and third? No, yeah, go ahead and do your fourth and third. Okay, so I did have Arsenal fourth and Tottenham third, and the way I look at it, the way both y'all improved so much. Um, in terms of Arsenal, I think, you know, bringing in Jesus is crazy good because, you know, Jesus was never able to stand out in a team full of stars at City. Um, so, you know, playing for Arteta at Arsenal will be great for him. Um, in terms of that, Tottenham have also improved so much. Like, I'm just looking at their list of players, and it's crazy. So both of y'all have re- had really good seasons, but I think it it just comes down to players you already had at the club and just adding your transfers. So that's why I think kind of Tottenham beats it out. 
And the way I was looking at it is that Arsenal improved so much to get ahead of Chelsea, but not ahead of Tottenham. So that's just kind of how I view that. So this is kind of ironic because I was just coming off like literally arguing against Arsenal for 500 years. But today I was sitting around kind of looking into a lot of the, I was on FB ref basically looking at a bunch of advanced analytics for players because I'm a huge nerd. Um, and I came across William Saliba. Um, I have this written down in my notes and what I have written is holy fucking shit. Um, this guy, man. So he's easily among the top three most progressive center backs in Europe's top five leagues right now. And I, I'm, I mean that in all seriousness. Now, it comes with the small caveat that he was playing in, in Liga, which is the weakest of the top five leagues. However, I think a lot of these skills are hugely translatable. I mean, 4.48 progressive passes per 90, 6.36 progressive carries per 90 for as a center back. And then just like these are all in those are both the 99th percentile for the top uh, top five leagues in Europe. Yeah. And most of this was done in a back four which is absolutely ridiculous because think about how few times he would have had the opportunity to step out of line in the back four and leave the defense exposed and yet still he's racking up these numbers. And the other interesting thing is he's like third percentile for uh, uh, aerial, like long aerial balls. <laughs> I tried to keep it straight. Uh, comparatively, he plays these, uh, line breaking passes to feet uh and that's that is basically his mo as a center back is that he plays these passes through the line uh that end up at the 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 you know kind of attacking midfielder striker positions and they a lot of the times result in shot creating actions which for a center back who's going to come in and play in a back three i, I assume yeah um well probably not it's going to be a back really four most likely do you, so do you think he'll start? So I I can get more into it. I have I I can talk more when we get to the starting eleven, or I can talk about it now. It's up to you. Uh, save it for the starting eleven. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I do I do have yeah. some tactical points uh from taken from preseason. Okay. Um, good. Because I actually have a couple questions. Uh, see now now this is the thing. I, I've just been shitting on Arsenal, but now I'm actually so interested in the tactical <laughs> evolution. Like. Um, but anyway, uh, Ethan, so, uh, I'm curious to know who you have got winning the Premier League this season. So into that, I will say I've got Liverpool second, and this is surely and solely based on the purpose of city have brought in the thing that they needed. It was a striker and it was one of the best strikers in the world at the moment. And, you know, people may argue you know, Liverpool dominated in the community shield. I think, you know, sure, it'll be close when it comes down to these games in the Premier League, but Holland is going to absolutely murder all these defenders that are on the lower league teams or the lower. Yeah. yeah. So he's going to score 50 goals. Yeah. And, you know, I kind of, I mentioned it when I was writing it down. A lot of uh, Liverpool star players, you know, they're more on the higher end of the age that you usually see in soccer. But a lot of City's best players are still kind of young. And so the fact that they're already good at their age and have so much room, you know, with uh, aging is crazy. Yeah. I've also got Liverpool in second. Um, 
I guess I'll have to speak to why I have them ahead of Spurs since you have them in second. Well, <laughs> uh, I'll just, it's just a brief comment, I guess, but I just think Liverpool, I do not think y'all have improved enough to get to their level yet. But I think the main thing is that City and Liverpool, both of them, just have such an elite mentality right now. Um, I just do not think any other team in the league is close to them in terms of mentality. Uh, we're just kind of, we're just not really fighting on the same, on the same playing field right now. It's completely different. Um, with that said, I have Man City winning the league. Um, we've talked about it previously. Liverpool are kind of in a state of transition when you compare them to City, uh, whereas City have just brought in Holland, um, who we're expecting to score a million goals. So, I think that's really the difference maker there. Uh, saying that knowing that Liverpool just beat Man City in uh in um yeah but Community I mean, Shield but it's yeah. a preseason game for exactly. all, for all intents and purposes. So well, I'll give you my what is admittedly somewhat shaky and reductive arguments for Liverpool finishing third. Um it mostly just I mean I look, I talked about this. I kind of was laying the groundwork for me to give this insane prediction last week uh because I was talking about how they're in this state of transition. They're entering the eighth year of the cycle of the, the heavy metal football, the Jurgen Klopp uh, cycle. Mane's gone. And yes, Darwin Nunez has been scoring in preseason. He scored four goals in uh, that one. I can't remember who they're playing. I think it was one of the Red Bull teams. Yeah, it was a Red um, Yeah, and um, he scored, obviously, in the Community Shield. But I don't think he's going to score as many goals in the Premier League as Sadio Mane. I think Salah is going to be a machine as he always is. But then there's still, uh, you know, we've got Diogo Jada, we've got Luis Diaz, we've got uh, Firmino. And I'm not going to question for one second the quality of the team. I just wonder if they're they're going to struggle a little bit with um, kind of that Mane-shaped hole in the attack. Uh, I just think whenever you lose a world-class player, Sometimes those effects are felt more strongly than it might seem. Uh, here's one other thing, though, that I think we sometimes forget. Two seasons ago, all it took was one injury in the back line to lead to utter calamity. They almost finished fifth just because of one injury. Now, granted, I'm not expecting Van Dyke to get injured, and I'm not certainly not hoping he's going to get injured. I just don't know if their back line because the thing is last season, it was healthy all the way through the season. And that includes the fullbacks as well. If they, I genuinely think they are at all times, one defensive injury away from potential calamity, which they've had insane luck on that front for a team that plays the style that they do. And is as, you know, hardcore kind of constant extreme fitness. And let's not forget, they played 70 games last season. They got to the final of every possible competition. Uh, so I just think fitness may end up being a problem and their entire squad is going to leave for the world cup in the middle of the season. That's one thing that we kind of forgot to talk about as well. Um, of course we will be covering that, but it certainly plays a factor. So, and of course Spurs, squad is going to be leaving for the world cup too. I'm not suggesting that that's a problem that's unique to Liverpool. It's just something that I think will play a bigger impact because just the amount of football that they've played over the last few seasons has been so absurd. Uh, so, like I said, 
I, I think it's a bold prediction by me, but I'm sticking by it. I'm putting more of my faith in Antonio Conte than I am of in Spurs. Um, and I'm, <laughs> I wrote this down to say, too, if we beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge on match week two, we're winning the fucking league. That's all. You heard it here first. Uh, because we never win that fixture. So <laughs> if we on win the, that fixture. On the defender injury note, I will say that compared to last time, I would say they have four capable center backs now, whereas last time they kind of had three, but it was more like two because one of those players really is elevated by uh, um, the presence of Van Dyke. Also, they had they had two injuries that season, right? It was uh, Gomez too, yeah. And Gomez. But now, True, but I don't necessarily they have don't Van Dyke, Gomez, Gomez Joel Matip, and Konate as options. True. I think True. Konate is really huge. Um, and he has proven himself on large stages, right? He had a pretty good game in, uh, in the Champions League final. He played that game, right? He started. Yeah, yeah, uh, he, yeah. He started and, over Matip, I think. Yeah. yeah but. I mean, obviously, they lost that game, but I still thought he had a good game. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I think they just have the depth now to, to handle an injury. True, but then think about Trent. You know, if Trent goes down with an injury, how much of an effect does that have? Um, Although they just signed that random youngster uh, right back, so maybe he's cracked. My favorite. <laughs> <laughs> maybe he's insane. Yeah. Knows? Next Trent incarnate. Yeah, yeah, but, I mean, I think no surprise to anyone, uh, Reese, you and I both have got City winning the league as well. Um, it's just – it's so hard to argue. It's inevitable. Anything else, yeah. So – Okay, gentlemen, let's move on now and do a couple of kind of additional throw-in predictions that we've got for uh, the league this season. The first of which, which we alluded to earlier, is the Golden Boot. So here's Reese's turn to be absolutely (laughs) nuclear. So I asked Gage before we started, should I go with my normal pick or my nuclear pick? And he said nuclear. So I'm taking Jesus for Golden Boot, baby. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, okay hear me out the the other option was holland and i will explain why i think it's not the greatest explanation but i think it still makes sense on some front i think jesus is absolutely our focal man and he's going to score all of our goals i don't think our goals will be spread out very much um city although i think holland's going to score a lot they also just as a team are a lot better than us and so the goals will be more spread out between players and that's the only way i could see it happening uh, again, this is purely for um, the reactions uh, because my initial pick was Holland, but uh, we're going with Jesus. Well, I can't shit on you. I have Spurs finishing second. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got Holland, which is the safe pick. I feel. Um, yeah, me too. I just think like maybe he, uh, whether or not he scores in big games, these games where City like City versus Leeds. Holland will score three hat tricks. <laughs> like it just, it's going to happen. These, these games where city blow the doors off teams, I could just see him racking up the goals. So. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, player of the season. Now this is just kind of a player in the league that you think is going to make the biggest impact kind of most valuable to his team. Best kind of performing season. Um, Reese. Uh, it's an easy pick KDB. I think he's time and time again, been one of the best players in the world. 
Um, and now that he has Holland in front of him, he's he's just gonna just his numbers are gonna be ridiculous this season, just in all fronts. Yeah, I went with Salah just in the sense that he's gonna pick up more of the uh, work the to do. Yeah, now that Mane's gone. But I did want to make note that um, when asked this earlier, I was wondering if it was just for the whole league or if it was within our teams. And so I did pick one for my team, and I ended up picking Zaha just because, you know, he'll probably leave next season, so he'll probably have one last good season with it, us, and he'll be, like, his best. Uh, I've gone for another homer pick, but this one is far more justifiable, in my opinion. Uh, I've gone for Harry Kane as player of the season. I back him to once again, He, I don't think he's going to win the Golden Boot just because I think Holland's going to score goals and goals and goals. I do back him to win the Playmaker Award, though. Um, I think the amount of combinations he's going to make with Son and Kulisevsky is just off the charts. I think his passing is second to none except for uh, De Bruyne. Um, and he's in the fittest shape of his life. Uh, so I think, you know, it's just going to be an knock on some wood. Yeah, I, I, let me let me remove both of my ankles and give them to him yeah. so that he doesn't get injured again. Yeah, um, yeah, that's a good point. But yeah, I'm backing Kane to be player of the season. So in uh, our final category is the sack race. Who will be the first manager sack? Now, I actually had a hard time with this because I think there's a lot of names in contention for this race. I, I had an easy time. <laughs> I think apart. we yeah, I think we picked the same person. But, Ethan, have you got someone different? I actually, you know, this is kind of a cop-out picking two managers, but I ended up picking either – it's going to be either Scott Parker or Marco Silva. Just yeah, Marco sense, Silva was the one that I was debating about heavily. So Just because I looked at both of their season, and I originally just picked Scott Parker. But, you know, depending on how you look at it, Bournemouth have a lot of their hard games at the beginning of the season. So, but the thing about it is, you know, sometimes managers, unless you're Palace and sack Frank DeBoer after four games, um, they usually this, these sackings happen later in the season. So when you, if you leave these harder games, you know, to, more towards the middle of the season, like they, Fulham has, has these games, you know, we could see Marco Silva drop like that. Well, they so do just, have a reputation for doing that as well. So, yeah. So, you know, the timing is different, but I think both of those managers should be worried. Yeah, my Lampard theory about them bringing in Dyche after he sacked is... I, I like that theory. One of the hugest reasons for me choosing that, yeah. so... Yeah, yeah I, didn't even I had already picked much. him, but that just sold me even more. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's probably a good one. I didn't even think about him at the time, but yeah, all true. Okay, so that rounds up our uh, predictions kind of area of the pod. Uh, in case you're wondering, we, what we will be doing at the end of the season is we're going to take the, the real league table and stack it up against our predicted tables, and we're going to do the golf scoring method. So every every team that you have a certain – like if you had a team first and they end up finishing second, you'll receive one point for that uh, because it was one position off. Um, and of the four of us, because Josh has also submitted his predictions, uh, which you can check out on our social media, uh, between the four of us, whoever has the lowest score will win the predictions game. So did Josh have any nuclear takes or were they all uh, the same? Yeah. Well, one which, one, I, which one was it, your nuclear take? I I think he had Wolves seventh. Oh yes, I think he did. Let me 
Let me go back and scroll up and look. I yeah, just that's uh, much too high. Yes, he does have wolves in seven, uh, which is a pretty insane take. And he has Brentford finishing bottom, which I don't think is the worst prediction in the world. But I mean, bottom feels a little bit harsh to me. But uh, and just to clarify, Josh's opinion on the top four race, uh, he's got Man City winning the league, Liverpool second, Spurs coming third, Arsenal fourth. And then Chelsea and United rounding out to those places. So it's funny. Those... I I talked about it when we were hang, talking yesterday, and I was like, "Oh, Josh and I have similar uh, similar top sixes. I said that, but I looked at it and I realized he had the exact same one as me. <laughs> so I was like, "So I was like, I'm just gonna say it's similar. That way, <laughs> they don't know mine already." All right, we do have a couple other things to talk about. I did want to put together. Um, a quick little exercise, which we did reference earlier, which I'm quite excited about, actually. I want to, for each of us to go through, so Spurs, Arsenal, Palace, in whatever order we choose, uh, to predict our opening uh, line or our opening day starting 11. Um, so you guys, actually, I'm going to have to go first because this is a slap showdown on the opening day of the season. Crystal Palace and Arsenal meeting at Friday Night Football uh, this is going to be an exciting affair, gentlemen. Yep. Uh, I'm curious to see how you have uh, the teams to to stack up against each other. Uh, is this this is at Selhurst Park? Am I correct in saying that? Yes. Okay. Okay. I'm going to let Ethan go first as uh, the home team privilege here. I'm curious to see how you've got Palace stacking up. Okay. So with Palace, uh, you know, haven't making you know we haven't brought in Chris Richards. I don't particularly think he's going to start on. Uh, the first few games, you know, kind of just integrate them slowly and surely. So uh, just like last season, I've got Guaida at the in the sticks. Uh, Mitchell, Anderson, Giggy, and Klein, you know, that's my, I think, our strongest back for right now. Uh, moving into the midfield, I do have our, our probably our star signing at the moment, uh, Ducore, you know, holding it back, kind of what Kiyade played. Um I will say before I go back to it, I do have Ezzy, you know, kind of playing a more advanced role. Um, and, you know, there's been some rumors that Loftus-Cheek might come back to Palace. So if, you know, if that ends up happening, then I would have him here. But for the moment, I've got Will Hughes playing in that midfield. Uh, and then up front, I've got Zaha, Mateta, and Eduard. Um, as much as I would love Olisa to play, it looks like he's injured right now. He hasn't really played uh, in the preseason games. Uh, and he hasn't been too involved in training yet, so we probably won't see him for a while. Obviously, you know more than I do, but I had a slightly different midfield um, pegged for y'all in my mind, so I wanted to hear your explanation as to why you picked the one you did, because I imagined, like you said, Ezzy playing as Cam, but then I I thought that Decore and Kayate would play together as opposed to Will, Will Hughes starting. So Kayate is not a Palace player anymore. Oh, Oh, what? I didn't know that. I didn't know yeah. that either. Well, actually, he it's hard to say because we, we've been negotiating a contract with him. And I think last season was his last. Oh. And he never agreed. So I don't know. Let me double check. Because if he is still a Palace player, then I would say, yeah. But You would think he'd, he'd have been picked up, though, if that were the case. True. I don't know what's going on with him. Uh, oh, well, oh, man, there's a lot of crazy stuff on his Wikipedia page. 
I've been on here for three seconds, and there's a ton of crazy stuff on his Wikipedia page. <laughs> Everyone just go look up his Wikipedia page. This is insane. Uh, anyway, I mean, he's listed as still a Palace player, but if he is, if he does have a contract outstanding, then that's kind the of interesting. About, the thing about it is that he hasn't been involved. With, there's been nothing in training. There's been nothing. He hasn't been playing in the preseason on either fronts. Okay. So well, if that's know. the case, I you know, easy answer. Easy yeah. answer there. But. Yeah. It's kind of a similar situation with uh, Spurs and Romero right now, but it's weird because like Romero has been completely involved in preseason. He's played almost every game. Like he's training with the squad, blah, 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 whatever. But he was on loan from Atlanta and his loan expired June 30th. We have not signed him permanently as of right now. So I don't understand what's going on. As of July 1st, he is without club. Kuyate, this is. Yes. Yes. Wow. Okay. The more you know. Apparently, the Palace system now is that if you're over 30, you're not getting more than a one-year contract extension. I think that's good. That yeah. was the old uh, the the Chelsea thing whenever in like the John Terry era. That's what they used to do too. Yeah, apparently, Cheku wanted a two-year deal, but that was not happening. So, which is crazy. Are you? Though, are you? Uh, what are you thought? What are your thoughts on that departure? Are you kind of disappointed in that, or? Well, you know. Chiare, I think, is a good player because obviously he brings height to the team and, you know, he does good to progress the ball a little bit for his position and, and winning it back a little bit. Kind of kind of acts like a fifth or a third center back in our 4-4-2 or 4-4 or 4-3-3. But, uh, you know, I think it's time to move on. You know, we're, we're changing the squad up a, a bunch and, you know, obviously we're losing some height there, but I think eventually we'll replace him. This is why I've been wanting Sangare from PSV for so long, just because it's just a it's a carbon copy, but he's twenty like twenty three. And that changes better. my viewpoint yeah. a whole lot because I originally had thought um, Decore was uh, Gallagher's replacement, but now it's looking like he's more like Kayate's replacement. Yeah, that's that's the thing. That, that's what a lot of people were talking about. It's like we've made Decore uh, a Palace player, but you know, do we still? We kind of still want Gallagher back. Yeah. So, okay. Now that I know he's not a palace player, I'm going to slander him. I'm going to read this line from his Wikipedia page. Kiate is married to Zara Mbo. They have a son born in 2021. According to various reliable Senegalese media outlets, Kiate has a second wife. What the? <laughs> huh. Which is a little bit strange. Uh, I won't go into this, but apparently he's got some pretty uh, questionable views on LGBT rights as well. Uh, which he is was, listed on his Wikipedia page. He was, uh, you know, he backed Idrissa Gaye when he refused oh. to wear the... Yeah, that's that's what's uh, yeah. on his Wikipedia page, yeah. yeah. Called him a real man for re- uh, refusing to wear said shirt, uh, which is mm. a, 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 a questionable turn of phrase, to <laughs> say the least. Not, yeah. a great, not a great look. Yeah. yeah. So perhaps yeah. from that standpoint, it's uh it's not the worst departure in the world. Yeah. But ability wise, yeah, but maybe not mentality wise. Yeah. Yeah, we won't uh, uh there there are a couple Spurs players who, if you really look into their histories, it's a little bit uh not the best. Uh Lucas Mora, for example, is a fascist, which is an interesting one. Hmm. Um so yeah, okay. Anyway, let's move on from the dark the darkened days. Uh Let's go talk about something a little bit more interesting, which is uh, Arsenal's starting lineup for the opening day. Yeah. So I'll go um, attack to defense because I think the defense is the most interesting part of what I have. Um, Actually, I'll start with goalie because 
everyone knows the answer. Ramsdale's going to start this game. Um, Camsdale. Okay. <laughs> Camsdale, yes. Okay, now we go to attack. Uh, I think, you know, front three, Martinelli, Jesus, Saka. I think that's just what's going to happen. I think it's the most obvious choice, and sometimes the most obvious choice is the best choice. And I, you know, that's what we signed Jesus to do. So, J Jesus better start, is what I'll say. If he doesn't start, yeah. I'll be shocked. Yeah. Especially with, I mean, he was involved with all of preseason, so um, he's adjusted to the squad. Uh, Sokka will start. Martinelli will start. There's just not really any other options in that area besides, you know, Pepe, uh, uh, throw, <laughs> but, you know, Martinelli has kind of edged that starting spot over him. Uh, we get to the midfield. Uh, I've got Odegaard at Cam, as you would expect. I've got Party as the six as you would expect. I do think Xhaka will start this game, though. Uh, I can say a word on Party, uh, since we were going down the dark paths. Um, you know, he's currently under investigation for some nefarious uh, sexual allegations, which, you know, obviously, if he's guilty, he should not be playing. Uh, but we talked about this with Basuma and Tottenham when y'all signed yeah. him. I imagine the club has done their own investigations because as far as we know, you know, uh, the laws about discussing ongoing investigations are really strict in England. It's so odd. Um, so there's not a whole lot of information available besides he said, she said stuff. Yeah. Uh, and what it is looking like, because I think one of the allegations has already been proving false. So it's looking like the other one will also be proving false, but it hasn't been yet. So... But despite that, the way it always is with the soccer players is that um, they just play, and it's just they just they just get to move on. Yeah. Um. So he will start at six. He's been involved in preseason as well. Um, Jaka is going to start this game. Uh, I just do not think Vieira is fit yet. I believe he was suffering from a slight injury, um, throughout preseason and. We have not signed uh, the other alternative, which would have been Tielemans, if that happens. But he, if we do sign him, he will not be ready for this game, obviously, because there's less than a week. Um, so Xhaka will start at 8. Uh, we get to the defense, which is the most uh, interesting part, because Tierney is just now coming back from an injury, and Tamiyasu is just now coming back from injury. So neither of them are going to start this game. Uh we're going to play a back four, but it's a weird kind of hybrid uh, back three to back four. So you asked earlier if Salabo would be in a back three. Is the answer. <laughs> uh, Zinchenko, I think it's going to be, I'll say the players and then I'll talk about their um, the tactics a little bit. It's going to be Zinchenko, Gabriel, Saliba, and Ben White. Uh, the way it pans out is Zinchenko is going to be left backed, but he's obviously going to be involved higher up the pitch. Pitch. Um, so when he does push up higher, the rest of those players kind of slot into a back three is what I imagine with, uh, Sokka almost as a wing back. Um, Gabriel, he's just left-sided center back. That's how it is. Saliba, I think will play as a center back because Ben White does have some experience at right back. Um, he won't necessarily be pushing up as far as a right back normally would, but he plays right back more in the sense of it's a hybrid back three type of thing where Zinchenko pushes up. Uh, but I do think he'll be the starting right back in this game. That's how it's going to appear um, whenever we're, uh, you know, but before we have kind of 
transitioned this fluid defense into its weird kind of hybrid thing that's happening. So uh, QOTD, is that a is that done by necessity or is that the the ongoing tactical outlook for Arsenal? Uh, again, uh, <laughs> I think right now it's done out of necessity, but I do think, and you know, I'm I'm just intrigued by these type of shape fluid, yeah. fluid formation type things. It could definitely be an option in the future. I don't know if I'm sold on it. Um, I actually think it might be better with Tomiyasu in um, because he also has experience at center back. I think I think having a right back who has experience at center back is more important than having a center back who has experience as right back. Um, yeah. But you know maybe Ben White absolutely excels at this uh, at this position, and then you know who knows. And I I also think I think Ben White is the key there because when Tierney is back he can obviously play forward as well. So he can play in this kind of hybrid thing if it's what we want to stick with. Um, it just depends on whether or not Ben White can perform his duties, not, not only as a third center back, which I believe he will be able to, but more importantly as a right back. Yeah. Yeah, I can say, I mean, this is a, this is a tactic that was famously utilized by Jose Mourinho in his time at Spurs, uh, this kind of four to three sliding, uh, sliding doors defense. I do or I would suggest that it's not sustainable over a long period of time, but it is absolutely a viable option in certain circumstances. Yeah. So I think as a long-term outlook, not a good idea as far as that being your primary tactical option. However, yeah. if, if there is kind of a, an opportunity that arises where you think you could, you know, exploit a team's weaknesses and, or it's dictated by necessity of injury as it is in this case. Yeah. Um, I do think it's a good option as well. Yeah, I think it'll be more like, I think when Tomiyasu and Tierney are back, they'll both start. And at that point, I think, you know, there's five substitutions now. So now we yeah, have the option to swap around we the back mentioned. line. Yeah, now we have the option to swap around the back, back line and swap uh, tactics there because it does provide with extra help in the attack. So, you know, maybe if we're really in need of a goal, we can go uh, sub on Zinchenko and... Uh, or sub on Zinchenko for our right back and then swap to a back three or whatever. So, and I have one final question for you regarding the tactical role of the center backs. This is just something I was kind of considering while I was doing my analysis on Saliba. What kind of role, if any, has Arsenal utilized the center backs as far as, I don't want to say chance creation, but ball progression. Yeah. Uh, what, what is the standard role for the center backs for progressing the ball? Uh, so we pretty much play We have a play out of the back system. It's heavily reliant on that. Um, Gabriel specifically has been known for those, you know, long cross the field passes, spraying them out to the wingers. Um, so if we need them to, they can just kind of bypass the whole field and just get straight to the wingers. Um, I think normally the plan is to just be able to have good control of the ball and play from back to front without having to do long passes. But having the ability to do those long passes is also extremely important because if you have a scenario where, you know, a pass is kind of skewed, you have someone closing you down faster than you think they would be able to, it's important to be able to just decide in that moment, okay, we need to stop playing it out from the back and just boot it up. But not only just boot it up, boot it up with accuracy. And yeah. Gabriel can do that. Saliba can do that. Ben White can kind of do that sometimes. Um, 
So I I would say that's their that's their role as far as uh, progressing the ball. Is there ever an example of center backs making incisive runs up the pitch, or do they t- generally tend to stick back in the positions? You know, they push up you know, to half field at times, uh, depending on how much we're pressing the game. And that's kind of, you know, city philosophy creeping in. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as far as, you know, making forward runs, they don't really do that. Um, the only time I've seen this, the center backs do that is if they're already up for like a free kick and then we retain possession. Then sure. I've seen Gabrielle stay stay up and, and make some inside runs uh, just to have the extra man. But um, in normal possession play, no. Okay. I was just curious because Spurs have kind of been experimenting with this concept of, you know, center backs being involved heavily with the ball progression, uh, which I'll get onto here. Now I'll use that as a smooth segue. Um, Spurs opening day uh, fixture is a a 9 a.m. slash 3 p.m. kickoff against Southampton at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Really favorable fixture for the opening day. Uh, My predicted lineup is as follows. Lloris in goal uh, as a standard. Then the back three of Romero, Dyer, and Longley, I think, will start on the left side. Now, I think it would have been Davis, apart from the fact that he's been kind of nursing a hamstring injury throughout preseason. He's gotten a couple minutes here and there, but they've been uh, kind of using him sparingly so as not to agitate the injury. Um, so I think Longley will probably get the nod. Um, wouldn't be surprised to see Ben Davis get introduced uh, into the game at some point but I do think it'd be a safer option for Longley to start. I hope what they don't do is uh, start Davinson Sanchez on the left, which is what's been going on in preseason because Longley had just joined and wasn't quite up to fitness. Um, Davinson Sanchez does not need to play on the left. He is not good on the ball. He cannot use his left foot, and I do not want to see him playing on the left ever. (laughs) Uh, Soapbox over. In the midfield slash wingbacks, uh, I think Matt Doherty's probably going to get the nod on the right side. I think Spence is not quite ready. And as far as I can tell, Doherty's preferred to Royale. The midfield two is going to be Hoybier and Bentinker, I think, because Basuma is not ready. Uh, he had COVID actually in South Korea, and apparently it was a uh, kind of a rough bout of it. So he's still in recovery from that. Um so he'll, he will join up with the team later, no doubt, but I don't think he'll be starting the first couple of games. And then Perisic, I think, will most likely start on the left. Uh, it could be Sessignon, but I think it'll be Perisic. And the front three picks itself, Kulisevsky, Kane, Son. Um, Richarlison will make a substitute appearance, I have no doubt, but from the starting or from the get-go, I think it'll be those three. Now, one of the reasons why I've been so intrigued by this center-back thing is because throughout last season, or at least throughout Conte's tenure last season, um, Dyer kind of functions as this deep lying playmaker a little bit uh, as he pushes up kind of, he pushes up in between the two midfielders, if that makes sense. And then generally, if that happens, Hoybier will pull off and take up space um, kind of in that free zone where Dyer leaves, leaves the space. Um, But additionally, some of the things that have been happening in preseason, and this actually happened uh, in the Roma game, Longley made an incisive run uh, and was found by Perisic. And then he actually put in a brilliant cross and it was met by none other than Christian Romero in the box. <laughs> um, so a, a center back to center back cross. I don't know that that's necessarily it's a Sheffield gambit. Yeah, it really yeah. is. I, I don't necessarily think that's something you're going to see uh, too, too often, but I do think Romero especially has that tendency to get up the pitch. Uh, he really likes a, a meandering run forward. I don't know enough about Longley 
yet to determine whether or not that's going to be a frequent occurrence or if it was just a one-time thing. Um, but I'm interested to see them work. I will say I've been quite impressed with Longley's ability on the ball. Of course, the question marks around him were always uh, regarding his defensive abilities, and I haven't seen too much of that yet. But on the ball, I've been very impressed. So, The one position I would ask about is actually uh, Hoybjerg, because normally, uh, like you said, Basuma would be the preferred choice there, right? Um, but I actually think Skip profiles more to Basuma than Hoybjerg does. So as far as tactical-wise, I like... I would personally want skip there. So what is your reasoning for Hoybier? Uh So you're actually exactly correct because in preseason, Basuma and Bentinker have been uh, kind of used interchangeably, uh, whereas Hoybier has played every minute. And that is because skip is currently suffering from a massive laceration on the top of his left foot. Oh. Um, he went into a challenge in training and apparently a stud uh, cut down to the bone. Mm. Um, so he's had to be stitched up and, it's not like a serious injury in terms of it won't keep him out for a long time. It's just, you can't really yeah. play on something like that. Cause it'll continue to, you know, reopen and re-aggravate. Uh, so that's why skips out of the picture right now. He'll be back soon. Um, the two questions I had, the answers were skip is injured <laughs> and Kiate is not a palace player. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's kind of a, it was an injury that came out of nowhere because everyone was expecting him to play in Israel uh, in the friendly against Roma and he was not in the squad. And so people were kind of confused about that. And then uh, Conte cleared up what happened uh, that actually that injury happened in Israel uh, yeah. during training. So, yeah, I think for the first, for the first, I would say three games, you'll probably see Hoybier Bentinker uh, be your starting pairing. And then especially as we start to get closer to the champions league draw, um, it'll just be rotation fest. So that's my overall synopsis on the midfield, I think. Excellent. All right. I think that brings that particular section to a close. We did just want, it is, it has just ticked over to midnight here, a uh, time of recording, and it is quite a long episode. Um, but we did want to give a mention to the community shield, which did take place uh, over the weekend. And we all uh, watched this game. So I'm going to come to Ethan because we recent, I have once again been yammering and stammering about various things. Uh, Ethan, give us a rundown of your uh, thoughts of the community shield. Obviously not too much to take from this match, but uh, there was some good action. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a good game. Um, and I mean, we talked about it earlier. It is kind of just like a preseason game because, you know, the teams, uh, they're they're playing because of stuff that happened last season, but it's with newer squads. Um, it was our first chance to see Holland play for City, um, in terms of you know against Premier League opposition. I mean, uh, that's that's just a rough guess. I don't know if they've played any other Premier League teams, but uh, and then we kind of saw Liverpool with their their man to rival Holland's uh, to some degree, Darwin Nunez, um, who ended up scoring. So it was just. It was just an interesting game, and it was good to kind of get the vibe of the Premier League back just because, you know, it had been so long, you know, summer drags on. But uh, it was a good game, and I think it was unfortunate because I was I was telling them, I was like, you know, give it that penalty was definitely warranted, you know, no doubt about it. Uh, but it, it, for some reason, it always feels like Liverpool gets something with a VAR every time. But Liverpool Liverpool, yep. pool. Yeah. But yeah, I think it was fair to say Liverpool deserved to win that game, but um, shot kind of, kind of not that good of a display for Holland, but then again, you know, it's first, first game, first, first team to play against. Had a dickhead sitter yeah. uh, in the 90th minute where he hit the crossbar from about two yards out. 
There's actually one play in this game that I think is pretty much my only takeaway because, you know, there's not a whole lot to be drawn from a community shield game, but there was one play that I, I talked to you all about previously uh, off the podcast that I think is very interesting and could could pose some interesting, uh, unique problems that City may encounter. And that was uh, De Bruyne tried to play a 1-2 with Holland, and had Holland passed it back, De Bruyne most definitely would have been in. And, you know, he's a fantastic player. You'd back him to finish the chance. Um, Holland is so goal-focused and so goal-driven, which you want in a striker. You want them to be selfish with the ball. You want them to score goals. But there needs to be a balance, especially with City, because City are so not like that. They're just not. They're so focused on the whole team and being able to pass and... High-percentage scoring chances. Exactly. So Holland, you know, just kind of ignoring De Bruyne there to go on a run and then having being forced to pass and being forced to make a much worse pass that ended up not uh, leading to anything um, could be an interesting challenge that they face because obviously Holland's an amazing player. He's going to score a lot of goals, but they, I mean, Pep is still going to want him to conform to the system. You would think. Yeah. Um, And he will, I think it's just going to take time. Yeah. Um, It will take time. So, It was previously, it was something I had not really thought was going to be an issue until I watched this game. And then I, you know, it's still, it it may not be an issue, but it's on the brain now. I mean, even if it is, they'll be fine. Yeah. It's just, it's just on the mind now. Yeah. So, oh, one other thing we didn't mention when talking about City, by the way, uh, new signing Julian Alvarez Mm -hmm. uh, from River Plate, who they signed in January and sent back on loan, uh, scored in this game and also looks like he's in the plans. So yep. he may serve as a rotation option. I know he can play that central striker, and he also can play, I think, either side. Um, so look out for him to be involved. I don't know too much about him, except that he's rapid, um, and apparently he's quite a good finisher. So Does anyone remember the fee he went for? Because I don't I remember it being don't. that much. I don't think it was. I think it was in the 18 like million neighborhood or yeah. you know something I, like that. I was going to say, you know, if, if I am correct in thinking that the fee is around there, yeah, you know, 14.1 million pounds. It just shows how proactive you have to be in this market because right now the prices are so inflated. You almost have to just produce your own talent and for, as far as um, talent acquisition goes and scouting. And and we did something very similar with Saliba, right? Where you you buy them early and then send them out on loan immediately, right? Um, and, and we paid more for Saliba. He was like 30 million, but, you know, if he's, if he's going for sale now, I think he goes for more. Same with Julian Alvarez, I think. If he had been sold in the summer, it would have been a much higher fee. So, it well, it shows... is quite a bit different buying from Argentina than it is from Europe, anyway. It is, but yeah, but it, you know, it, my point being, it just shows how important it is to to get ahead of business in that sense. We saw it as well with uh, uh, Fabio Carvalho. I believe he signed. It wasn't even. I don't think it was preseason agreement, was it? No. Uh, it. Well, it was that weird thing where they they. Liverpool were going to sign him and then they didn't get the paperwork over the line in time. And that's right. So he remained a Fulham player. And then it was like immediately, as soon as the transfer window opened, it was through. So, yeah. yeah. So in all, in all, for all intents and purposes, it was exactly the same agreement. He just spent the season on loan at Fulham essentially. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they also have a couple of um, talents from the academy that I think are going to be making some more appearances this season, the likes of Casey Palmer and uh, 
Liam DeLaz. I think Liam it's DeLaz. Cole Palmer. Cole Palmer. Casey Palmer's uh, old Chelsea Academy product. Yeah, Cole Palmer. It is, it is Liam DeLap, though. Yeah, Liam DeLap. Roy DeLap's his dad. I always want to say Roy DeLap. Uh, yeah, Palmer and DeLap, in any case, uh, they're looking to, to secure some minutes this season, so keep an eye on that as well. All right. After a very, very long show and a very exciting season four premiere, I think we can just about start to bring it to a close. Um, Ethan, it is time for you to vindicate vinyls. Have you got us an album of the week? Not particularly an album, but more or less a single. Hey, yo. The Dave Clark Five, Glad All Over. And you might be thinking, why did I pick that? By go- golly, guys, it is the Crystal Palace song. Uh-huh. Anyway, goofy ass moment there for me. I'm, I love it. I love it. I'm so excited for this season. You know, it's just going to be so much. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to sell her lights on Friday. I will say, like, apart from Josh, who's not here to defend himself, for the three of us, this is like the most. I feel like this season has generated the most hype amongst all of our clubs going yeah. into the season. Like we're all fairly in positive. Yeah. in good spirits looking forward to the season. Um, like I've just, I've been fiending for content. Like I've been consuming so much content. I'm ready for uh, FPL. I'm ready for the draft. Yeah. You know, all these things. I'm just, I'm so, I'm so pumped for the, for the prime to be back. Yeah. I mean, we're so invested in it and, you know, it's just like, it's become part of our routine. You know, you check after the, a game you watch, you know, you check your phone, you're like, Oh, when's the next one? I got to be prepared. Yeah. The yeah. build up. It's awesome. Anyway, not an album, but you know, I think this is so cool. I always play this on game day mornings. Yeah. I've got a Spurs. The song is can't smile without you by Barry Manilow. And I've got, I've got his greatest hits record and that's the first track on it. So I, 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 also have something similar that I do. So yeah. Reese, it's probably good that you're not here right now. I would have blasted that so loud. <laughs> <laughs> so all right, fellas, we're looking forward to the slap showdown as the opening game of the season. We're also looking forward to Spurs' opening game against Southampton, Lesser open against Brentford. Lots of teams uh with lots of exciting fixtures this weekend. We'll be across it all next week as well. We want to say a huge thank you to you guys for joining us for the season four premiere. Reese, I know you're excited to be back on for another season. I want to say thanks for coming on and, and spewing your insights on us. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yes. Thank I, you for hosting. It, it was a tough choice. I almost didn't yeah. bring you back <laughs> for this season. So, yeah. Uh, and Ethan as well. Uh, I know you're equally excited to be involved and uh, appreciate you coming on and, and uh, importing some important details to us. Yeah, no problem. And then uh, thank you because you've been uh, uh, integral in our, you know, our growth. So appreciate. I have you been grinding away uh, the last couple of weeks, kind of preparing for this. So uh, we hope you guys enjoy the new graphics, the the new thumbnails, the predictions graphics, um, all kinds of stuff going on. I'm really excited about it. Uh, like I said, I've I've been like so itching to do stuff about the Premier League that I've just been in the grind mode to get all this stuff out. So. Yeah. yeah, I mean, as much as we like liked doing slab summers, you know, it's just grind, you know, it scraping by, same. scraping by. Yeah, yeah. 
Of course, uh, the podcast is brought to you in association with the Manifest Media Podcast Network. Huge thanks to producer Chris as well. Uh, I doubt he made it this far in the podcast, but if he did, Chris, uh, shout out to you. So he probably tuned off as soon as we all had Chelsea in fifth. Um, So, and uh, final thanks is in order to you, the listener, for sticking with us. And uh, we hope you enjoy this season. It's going to be a long ride. Uh, We're going to crank out weekly episodes for you. We'll also be across the World Cup, of course. Lots of action going on there. We're going to have some coverage of the U.S. national team uh, during the uh, one international break before then. I've also got a really nice quiz lined up for that international break as well. So the quiz will be back. Return of the quiz. Return of the quiz. It's got to be sparing, though, of course, because we're going to try to keep uh, the episode length down to an hour as much as we can. Um, Obviously, this one is huge but that's just kind of the nature of the the premiere so all that to say uh we want to say a huge thank you we hope you stay safe stay healthy enjoy the premier league this weekend and it's a goodbye from us <laughs>